Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. Gents, how are we doing this evening? I'm good Budge man, how are you? Always good, always good. When it comes to this time of the weekend, we get a chance to review the games and, and you know, back in the studio with the lads, it's always always a good time man. How, of course man, of course. How about you bro? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well Budge. Happy to be here. Mm. You've got an esteemed guest today. <laughs> you know, this is going to yeah, be a yeah. bit different today, but I'm looking forward to absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. How about you? How, how yeah, you man, I'm good, man. I'm good, obviously. Eight points cleared at the top of the league, so yeah. I can't really complain about yeah. yeah. it. Green from here to here. You guys <laughs> can't see Life is good right now. <laughs> cool, sweet. Okay, so as um, as Dej alluded to, you let the cat out of the bag, we are joined by a very, very special guest. And again, as he mentioned, this is going to be a very different episode. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's going to be one that everyone's going to enjoy. I think Hun- so too. 100%. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest. He is a jack of all trades. He's a statistician, <laughs> a broadcaster, a published author. In fact, he had a book published in 2016, his first one. His second one was published in 2017. At present, he is the chief data editor um, for uh, the football statistic co- uh, company Opta. Um, he's written for the BBC, the Premier League, the wow. Football Association, wow. the Guardian, wow. the Daily Mirror, and Sky Sports. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's welcome Duncan Alexander to the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome. welcome. That's the nicest welcome I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> what better than your first day at work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, so Duncan's work is amazing. That's what I would have said. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so, so, so many of our um, listeners will be familiar with um, with Duncan's work because he is the brains behind Opta Joe. 
So whenever you're scrolling on the on on your timeline and you're looking at different stats um, and and things uh, about loads of different clubs, um, who scored, who uh, expected goals, assists, how many points this team's racked up in this space of time or whatever, how many shots Arsenal have faced on goal, <laughs> I had to sneak that one in, there, of course. Yes, indeed, Duncan is the man behind that. So. Before we, before we, um, before we kick off, we're just going to really quickly run through the itinerary. So you listeners are very, um, well aware of what we're going to be covering and then we're going to, we're going to kick things right off. So we're going to start off with a brief intro into Duncan. We're going to find out about how he, uh, came into the work that he's doing currently. Um, we are then going to, uh, review the weekend's fixtures. Um, some very, very interesting results, which we're gonna, we can't wait to sink our teeth into. Yep. Um, and, and, um, we also are gonna have a few, uh, uh, stats thrown out to us by, by Duncan. Some quirky some ones. Some quirky <laughs> ones that, you know, we're, we're, no one, no one's gonna have known about before listening to this, this episode. So looking forward to that. Um, we are also going to speak briefly on, uh, an incident yesterday. Uh, with Hamza Chowdhury's um, tackle on Mo Salah, nasty, um, the nasty challenge on Mo Salah, and 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 the reaction to that, um, and then we are going to go into basically um, just a bit of a, a, an idea of um, what role statistics play in the modern game um, in this day and age. And we're going to pick um, Duncan's brains um, uh, on that, and then we're going to wrap up with everyone's favorite um, segment of the pod, the prospect of the week. So, now that's done and dusted, let's kick things off. Done. That was sick, man. You don't yeah, know. yeah. Appreciate <laughs> that. Appreciate that. You Thank said you very much. nicely, yeah, bro. That. Nice. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Brilliant You're stuff. feeling yourself. Bridge is <laughs> <laughs> in his element. That's it, man. That's it. I match with it. You know. That's it. Let's go. Okay, so let's let's kick things off, Duncan. Um, tell us a bit about how you managed to, 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 you know, come into your line of work. Have you always been an avid mathematician? Have you always been interested in stats? Uh, um, no, not really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wasn't that very good, uh, good at maths at school, to be honest. Right, um, okay. And I think possibly because my maths teacher didn't like me. I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, scraped through my GCSE and then did, um, did history at university and stuff. So that right, was where okay. I kind of come from. Yeah, I guess if you do history, it's not really a subject, is it? It's kind of just a way of looking at everything and, and mm. basically not believing necessarily what you're told straight off. And mm. it's more like a question everything, yeah. which is kind of um, essentially what you, you do with data and football as well. You know, mm-hmm. is, you know, you can use it often to back up what people think is happening, but often the better way of doing it or the, the more illuminating way of doing it is kind of using data to maybe um, disprove or debunk stuff that people might think. So, obviously, a classic example recently was the the uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer good run when he took over. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that possibly, uh, he was overperforming slightly. A few people pointed that out at the time. A few people got upset about that, saying, no, but he's got United DNA. He understand <laughs> understands the club. <laughs> Turns out maybe, um, you know, it was just a sort of new manager bounce rather than the sort of second coming of Alex Ferguson. <laughs> If you remember after they beat Paris in the Champions League, oh, um, yeah. there was a photo yeah. in the dressing room of Solskjaer, Cantona and Ferguson and their win ratio since then has, has been, it's basically, <laughs> it's also like, do you remember when Arsenal took um, a selfie after they beat Leicester in 2015? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, don't take photos in the dressing room because if you do, you're going to unleash a level of hubris that you'll never recover from. So, <laughs> yeah. that's the, so that's, it's a bit of a curse. Well, yeah, ban cameras from dressing rooms is the... 
is the way forward. So, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> essentially, I mean, what I guess the key thing for me is that I've always loved football, even from when I was, you know, six or seven years old. Mm. And uh, you know, I say to people that a lot of the a lot of the knowledge I kind of gleaned when I was ten, eleven, twelve from football magazines, you know, yeah. shoot and match and stuff, we, we, I'm still using now. You know, I mm. still remember stuff um, from then and kind of think, oh, that might fit or that might, uh, you know, be an angle for something now. So. You know, all those times my mum was like, "Stop reading football magazines and do your homework." She was, she was wildly wrong about that. But, um, <laughs> do you bring that up in conversation? Yeah, right yeah. Now, yeah. Or... Only every week. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but though, to be fair to my mum, she did text me today with, um, "Is James Ward Prowse the new David Beckham?" He, I just saw him take a free kick, and he looked a bit like Beckham. And I was like, "That's reasonable like, knowledge." Although, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I came into it from. I, yeah, history. I'm not a statistical background. Um, I think that has changed for people coming into industry now. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys um, coming in now have done statistics or maths. They do. They're you know they're a lot better at coding and stuff mm-hmm. than I am. You know, I mean, whatever. If anyone's listening who wants to go into like football journalism or anything in football media, um, you know, the more kind of skills you can have going into it. You know, video stuff, coding stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not just about like writing anymore. It's not just about kind of you know traditional uh, media. The, the more strings you have to bow, mm. the better, really. So um, you know, and we've kind of seen a revolution this decade, really. If you go back to to twenty ten, that was when social media was growing. Yeah, a lot yeah, of the yeah. a lot of the top journalists we we see now, you know, like you've you know you had Jack on here. Uh, people, a lot of people, the athletic sign in the summer. You know, they people like Michael Cox all started on mm. Twitter blogs late night, uh, late two thousand, yeah, start yeah. the twenty tens. And that kind of generation is now kind of come through, I guess. Um, but they, but they tend to be a bit more rounded than than maybe some of the older guys. Right. Okay. And so after you finished uni, mm-hmm. you studied history, as you mentioned. What was the, your pathway into? Yeah. You know, well, like, again, you... this is no way. Um, it's not very good career advice because it was completely random. I basically just moved <laughs> to London um, without a job. And uh, I was like, yeah, we'll be fine. Away with it. And, um, <laughs> and the next day saw an advert um, from, as it turned out, it was from Opta, but it was basically saying um, anyone who knows a lot about lower league football should apply for this job. And I was like, as a Wickham fan, I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll yeah, yeah. a bit of serendipity. Right, yeah. I'll apply. And so basically got in like that. It was completely kind of really oh, random. Right. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I guess kind of came in mid to 2000s-ish, so when the you know the data industry was very kind of niche you know opta was working with um you know sky sports uh most of the newspapers but it was still like very much a a background ingredient you know you you might hear martin tyler or someone say on a commentary something that came from us but Mm. you know the person sat at home would just think it was martin tyler okay often it i'm not denigrating martin tyler often But, you know, often it did come from, from us or, or equivalent. So, um, but I think, I guess then the big game changer for us in some senses was 2009 when me and a colleague, um, founded Up to Joe, mm. which obviously Twitter was relatively new. And I'd, yeah. I'd, someone had said to me, oh, it's going to be the really big thing. And I was like, I doubt it. But, um, I had a look and I was like, oh, cause it's basically 140 characters as it was then. Yeah. yeah and okay. we were producing this content every week. You know, we were producing maybe 100, 200, short bits of information that would go to broadcasters and whoever but most of it wasn't used you know because they might pick out one or two so yeah, a lot of yeah. it would just kind of a bit like yeah. being at a restaurant where you're making loads of food and got le- loads left over yeah, yeah. so i just thought well twitter's a really good channel just to put the other stuff on yeah. um and and it turned out it kind of was you know people it took a little while to get going and quite 
I guess quite strangely given the um you know the kind of difference between Socrates and uh, an Opta but like mm. Tim Lovejoy was like the first guy to ever like big big account as it was in 2009 to sort of retweet Opta Joe and that kind of you know set the ball rolling and from then you know 2010 World Cup was was big and yeah and it was it's been good wow interesting mm. stuff sick yeah, sick yeah. that's, that's yeah, really, really yeah, good, to, that's to, good to know that yeah. that sort of background into you know wait so one you... one question so sorry Budge in terms of like you know when Sky Sports are looking for a stat and they mm. get it through the air. Yeah. Does that come through you guys? Not with Sky. They Sky have got their own team of guys who we work with. So for Monday Night Football, we'll work with them for the week beforehand. You know, they'll they'll say we're probably going to talk about this, this, and this. But obviously that will change about over the weekend. You know, like this weekend, mm-hmm. if there was a game tomorrow night, yeah. they'd be suddenly be talking about what went wrong at City yeah. or all that sort <laughs> yeah, of stuff. Of course. But generally, some of the stuff they know in advance. So we'll send them stuff. They'll go, yeah, we like that. Can we have that a bit different? You know, this, so there's a mm. long process. Okay. Um, um, and for some, a lot of broadcasters around the world, so like NBC in America, we we work with they're a Premier League broadcaster for the USA, and and they they rely completely on us. So if they're going to put something on screen there, they'll you know come to us and say, you know, mm-hmm. is this true? We don't want to look, and they're they're almost like even more sensitive because they don't they don't want to be seen as like oh Americans yeah. getting it wrong. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, stereotype. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't know football. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but you know we've worked with. Pretty much most of the broadcasters around right. the world. Yeah. And to what extent do you guys have to be flexible in terms of timing? So like you mentioned, for example, if um, sort of the the running order of, of things were already planned for a Monday night football, mm. and then there's a, a result um, on a Sunday evening, for example, that changes everything, do you ever have to like work through the night or work late at night to then mm. pr- produce and provide a whole load of different uh, stats? Yeah, for to- sometimes. I mean, generally what we've tried to do over the years is as stuff comes in, you kind of think, well, that that probably will come in again at some point. Let's mm. build. We've got various tools that allow us to run stuff really quickly, and and speed is almost as important as as accuracy. Mm. So, if you, particularly on like social media on Twitter, if it's no good coming up with something really interesting an hour after everyone else has talked about it, you need <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, and, you know, and, and and I guess it's it's that kind of speed of getting it out there is the key thing, mm. really. Um, I mean, the classic for that for me was one Monday Night Football a few seasons ago. I was working on it and um, it was West Brom Villa. And I think Villa came from two down to draw 2-2 two, two, and Lambert was their manager. And he basically made a triple substitution at half time, which is pretty rare. Mm. After the game, the guy, this guy said to me, um, when was the last time Lambert made a... Well, when, who was the last manager to make a triple substitution in the Premier League? Yeah. And they're like, we're going live to Lambert after the break. And I could see the adverts were on the TV. So I was, you know, wow. it took like two yeah. minutes to yeah, run yeah. it. Quickly looked. And it, and it turned out the last person to do it was Lambert at Norwich. <laughs> wow. So I told them, and like, they'd already started the interview by the time I told the guy at Sky. Oh, wow. So this so was so... The, time wow. to perfection. And three seconds later, the presenter, I think it was, um, uh, not Dave Jones, the other one before, Ed Chamberlain, yeah. Yeah. said... Yeah. Um, so, Paul, did you know the last manager to do a triple substitution was you? And he was like, no, I didn't know that. And like it went, that was like maybe 10 seconds after I'd told the guy. So it was just that shows you the kind crazy. of... crazy. You know, and at yeah, home, yeah. no one would have known that. They yeah, just, yeah, exactly. But it kind of... Because it just runs so smoothly. So yeah, you'd never crazy. understand yeah, like, the, the mechanics behind all of it, you know? Yeah, and it, in, in the grand scheme of things, that is an extremely minor point. You know, Paul yeah. Lambert's triple substitution is not going to live in the long memory. <laughs> of, course, <laughs> of course, of course. But it's just, you know, an example yeah, of how you can go moment, from like, like, yeah. a bit of information to, you know... And also it makes you realise that you can't get it wrong because... You know, he might, if he hadn't, he might be like, what are you on about? So, yeah. he, he wouldn't have remembered. Trust me, no manager would yeah. ever remember that. So. Fair point. So whilst we talk about, whilst we're on the topic of like things changing and whatnot, 
Um, even when I was sort of looking at the uh, sort of the running order of um, the the games that we were going to dissect today, I was I was just saying to <laughs> to, to, to all everybody off air that I already had in my mind like, okay, we're going to talk about this game first, and this is going to be a routine for this a routine win for this team. So of course they're going to go next, and so on. But then you know, just literally last minute, there was a. A, a, a howler, a howler of a result yeah, for a particular yeah. team that meant <laughs> yeah. that we had to discuss this, um, first. Yeah. And that obviously is, is the howler of, of City at their ground at the Etihad. Um, they obviously lost 2-0, wow. um, to, to Wolves. And obviously, you know, I, I, I as w- I'm sure a- everyone else would have, um, said before the game, this is a, a this is, a, this is a sure, fire three points for City, given the fact that we've spoken at length in recent weeks about the poor form of Wolves in the Premier League and the fact that, you know, City are coming off a very, very impressive win last week. You know, we were talking, we were talking up, um, uh, the Mares masterclass, the, the customary, uh, um, De Bruyne assist mm-hmm. and, and all of those things you were expecting to come into play today, but it didn't. What, where, where did it all go wrong for City? Huh, where do we start? I mean, <laughs> losing 2 new at home mm-hmm. to Wolves. I mean, that was a big, big result that no one really pretty much expected. We all know that Wolves have this type of result in them, but we thought that was like a thing of the past this mm-hmm. season, yeah. especially after Europa League games. Mm-hmm. They had a massive trip to Besiktas, you know, winning late. And we all thought, you know what, they're going to be right pickings for City. But how wrong were we? Mm-hmm. I just think it's a case of scoreboard pressure. Liverpool racking up the numbers... And Pep Guardiola is losing his focus. And a big miss they had today was Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. Him being out for, I'm not sure, is it a month or so maybe with a groin injury? Yeah, yes. They look void of ideas. Yeah. Wrong I mean, time. their defence is, you know, not great. They've got Otamendi and Fernandinho covering in. You know, the trickery and pace of Adama Traore seem to be the undoing today. I mean, this is a guy we all know. He's got the raw tools. But mm-hmm. can he put it all together? Mm-hmm. And to be fair to him, this season... He's it's been, been Wolves' probably, yeah, mm. their best player, you know, mm-hmm. and he's finishes, he finished with a plum mm-hmm. and who, oh, that really has thrown the title race up in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's over, but pff, one or two more bad results and continued with Liverpool consistency, mm-hmm. then it might well be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we talked before and as you said, you can see City doing it again. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, they could put on a, another run of 10, 12, 15 wins in a row, but they look shakier at the back. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think what this, you know, you look at the league table at the moment and like City got 16 points with a goal difference of plus 18. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Palace, are in, Palace are in six. They only got two points fewer. They've got a goal difference of zero. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's all very well yeah. smashing Watford 8-0 and everyone going, oh, this is, you know, yeah. you share the goals out a bit more. And, and the weirdest thing today, if you actually look at the, the numbers, is City didn't have a shot on target in the second half. Oh my gosh! They had two in the first half um, and none in the second half, which for City is just un- unheard yeah, of. You know, 100%. it's the first time they've lost a home game without scoring mm-hmm. since um, Pellegrini was their manager. So, you know, wow. it, it, it's pretty unprecedented wow. what happens. There. I mean, fair play to Wolves. I mean, not, Wolves are weird because you know everyone like under tipped them last season, over tipped them this yeah, summer, yeah. and they've had a slow start, but they're they've still got some good players and you know they're clearly coming into their own a little bit but yeah like you said it massively changes the dynamic of the title race now Definitely. I mean Liverpool have got a really tricky kind of month yeah. coming up mm-hmm. but you know if they get through that and they play City in, in November you know if they go into that game with an eight 
point lead, that game is almost a total decider, really. Mm. So, um, it all gets to the you know point where you start asking, is this information overload? Um, we know that Pep is so intense and day to day he will be pushing his players to do better and mm. better. But I kind of look at it and I think that this is a team that's one back to back Premier League. So what else is there for them in the league? And maybe the players are thinking, you know what, we want the Champions League. And to be fair, we don't mind if Liverpool win the league. Mm. Um, to go back to the game, I remember saying it last season and I was ridiculed. I said that Dalmetrari, for me, is the most dangerous player in the Premier League. The problem with him is that he doesn't have the end product. But if he can add that to his game, he can elevate to the next level. And I think mm. this season we're starting to see definitely, that. Definitely, yeah. He's been the best player, you know. Mm. And again, as Dot said, just to buttress his point again, you know, City domestically they've done the sweep mm. what's their hunger levels like back to back mm. to back it's not to back. easy it's, it's not, not easy. easy mentally you have to reset and go mm. again and this Liverpool team are probably one of the greatest sides in Premier League history mm. so having to chase them down with the lack of fight is it's a bit difficult mm. I mean they normally say it's difficult to go on morning runs in your silk pyjamas yeah, yeah. and, that, and like that's that. the case like yeah that's like the that case one. for City you know yeah. well last season as well basically the two teams that won the wrong thing. You know, Liverpool definitely <laughs> win the league. City <laughs> definitely wins the Champions League. And, you know, it's almost like they're both going, ah, oh, right, all right, we'll try and win the league. You try and win the Champions League. Let's, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, there's that thing, isn't there, that, that people say that when City's struggling to break teams down, they start to just cross the ball a bit. You know, they get more mm. and more desperate. And they made nine crosses in the first half against Wolves, which is about normal. Mm. 20 in the second half. So you could see them getting yeah, more and more yeah, desperate. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if, yeah, Wolves are they're tough to break down. You know, they're, mm. they're, and they're, as we saw with the goals, they can hit you on the break. And, you know, like you said, no, there's no better player on the break than Troy. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> once you go. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, it's a job. <laughs> and, um, I remember um, Gary Neville's analysis on Monday Night Football and he was saying the key to beating City is to make them cross more. Mm. And it's interesting that you said that. Oh. In the second half, they started panicking and it shows in their crossing numbers from 9 to 20, which is staggering. And um, just a point on, obviously, I didn't catch the game, but Rodri, I remember in pre-season, I was saying, this guy's going to need 6 to 12 months to settle in because from what I've seen, I didn't like the look of him. He looked, mm. you know, laboured on the ball. He looked like he wasn't physically ready for the Premier League. And mm-hmm. I saw a similar thing with Fabinho when he first joined yeah. to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So I knew straight away that Rodri will need a settling pe- period. Yeah, definitely. I right. agree. As you mentioned, Fabinho, when he came in, we were thinking, From wow, pre-season. this guy's having a mare. What's happening? But again, they need time to bed in. I wouldn't judge him just yet. I still think he's going to come good. But also, City having a bit of a rough time, you know, losing to Norwich and now this mm. result today. There's a lot of sort of semi-nonsense spoken about the Premier League being so different to other top league. You know, like the, the greatest league in the world, hardest league in the world isn't necessarily the case. But mm. I, do, I do think the one thing where it is very different to all the other leagues is the kind of intensity, even on yeah, like, yeah. even on kind of minor games. You, they, it was a good interview with um, Danny Ceballos after the Arsenal game yeah, at Anfield yeah. and he was like, I've never experienced anything like that. It was just so he relentless. Looked, he looked it. He looked it. He was like, yeah. yeah. And um, he was like, as <laughs> soon as I got the ball, I was like three people on me and I just yeah. couldn't breathe and the crowd wouldn't be quiet and yeah, you know yeah. it's probably a bit different from Levante away or something yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so yeah I do think it does take uh, some players can 
can hit the ground running, but most can't. I, mm. I do think, yeah. I mean, he, he's kind of been sheltered a bit as well. I mean, playing in that City team, you can probably get away with it. But yeah, particularly yeah. De Bruyne's fit, because he's just going to be pinging balls through yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. But, um, you know, Guerrero didn't have a shot on target today. Kyle, Kyle Walker and, and Sterling were the two players to do mm. it. You know, it, you look at the, the kind of base of that City team, you know, David Silva's last season, he didn't have a very good game mm, today. Yeah. Aguero got, what, two more seasons, but again in yeah, his I mean, 30s. He came out and said that he was going to go back to Argentina, right? In, in a he years, keeps so. changing his mind. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I think he actually wants to... I mean, what does he need? Five, four four goals to beat Thierry Henry's record as a top scorer in overseas play in Premier League history. Right. So he will okay. he will do that probably yeah, yeah. in in twenty minutes against Newcastle. But yeah, they do they do look like a team that, like you said, is just they were all set up for the Champions League now, and yeah, we'll see what happens. And also, just to add to that point, I mean. Mm. You know, Man City have had a bit of a tumultuous time at the moment with all the off the field issues regarding Bernardo Silva. Mm-hmm. You just wonder whether that might have come to a head, and it's been emotionally mm-hmm. draining. And you what, know. What's happened to Benjamin Mendy? Where is he? Probably back on holiday. Again. <laughs> <laughs> he, he played in the Champions League um, this uh, this past week. Did, yeah, did he did. Yeah, yeah. But you know, with his knee injury, yeah, you've got to manage his minutes, yeah, drip yeah, him yeah. in and out of action. But yeah, Man City again. It was a poor result. David mm. Silva. As Duncan mentioned, you know, he's come out before the season and said, you know, this is going to be his last season. It seemed like a bit of a farewell tour, you yeah. know, everyone <laughs> getting to see him for the last time because yeah. the legs are going. Yeah, he's been a great server. They need to check his hair out because that's, at least that's improved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, the hair no, but this, yeah. To be honest, he has started the season well. Yeah, but today... I think I mean, Gundogan yeah. is the bigger problem in that midfield. I've been saying that he is shot for confidence. <laughs> he's not... He's a player that look, looks good in the 8-0. Mm. But in a tight match, I'm, I'm not convinced by him. Yeah, but yeah. also Kevin also, De Bruyne being... Yeah, sorry. You know. the, the other key, I think the best, the most underrated player for City this season has been Riyad Mahrez. He's been yeah. like the most effective. We we put out some some graphics last week based on um, possession value. It's like a new kind of metric that we're doing for clubs mainly, but we're going to push it to the media as well, which basically mm-hmm. looks at players having possession and what they do with it and basically looking at progressive possession possession that damages your team possession that puts you into actual danger and basically in terms of like progressive progression so Mm. uh, possession (laughs) in terms of of doing good stuff with the ball essentially Mahrez is like way above everyone in the league this season and and crucially today he played for an hour and was rubbish didn't create a single oh, chance yeah, so yeah. him being off form today was was probably one of the key things if De Bruyne is not there he He's, needs to kind of do yeah, it create definitely I last week I mentioned that he had you know 17 goal involvements in 17 games and you know that metric proves that yeah. but what I was going to say before is when De Bruyne is not there David Silva almost becomes that reference as well mm-hmm. you know and he was off he form then you yeah. look at Riyad Mahrez you know, I mean, City today, it just seemed like, you know, they were not going to win the game. Everyone was down. Those are the performances that I think City can churn out again and again this season. Mm. That's why I don't see them winning the league. And I've put my head above the parapet and said, you know what? <laughs> Liverpool are going to win this league title by five to eight Name points. the colours to the mask early. We love to see that. We absolutely love to see that. <laughs> that stat, Duncan, I think is going to be very interesting because I think all of the centre mids that just pop past the ball sideways are going to get found out with that one. And um, another thing, I said that, Duncan, sorry, but I said that I feel that Riyad Mahrez could be considered probably the best African winger to play in the Premier League because what he's done is, is amazing and that's mm. that just backs it up. Mm. I what? didn't, yeah. Go, go on, Bud. No, Bud, go on. No, I, was, I was just going to sum everything up. Mm. Um, but yeah, go, go ahead. And I'll, yeah, I'll, what I'll I was going to say is that with um, Riyad Mahrez, what people don't realise is 
this is a Premier League winner. So before yeah. he came to see, he's not a small boy. You know? A PFA player. Yeah, 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 PFA player of the year. So this is a guy that's got accolades and, <laughs> you know, he's a top player in his own right. I think the, the, the real person with egg on their face is me because I had him as my captain in fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> this weekend. Fantasy this Absolute weekend. Absolute mare is, for me. I mean, Absolute mare. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, of course, we can't speak about City without speaking about the other team that they are in um, the the you know the race for the Premier League with, and that is none other than the European champions. Thank Liverpool. you. Thank you. I was waiting. For it. I was ready to slam you. I'm waiting to slip up. I can see you in the corner of my eye. So, of course, Liverpool um, hosted Leicester at Anfield. A very very good game. A very close one. And obviously, ultimately, Liverpool took the three points courtesy of uh, a last-minute um, penalty from uh, Mr. Reliable, Mr. Consistent, James mm-hmm. Milner. Um, what are your thoughts on the game, guys? Um, for me, personally, I feel that that was Liverpool's best performance of the season. Um, in terms of pure domination, Leicester didn't have a sniff. Um, Liverpool handled every transition brilliantly. Um, Leicester had their first attempt on goal after 70 minutes, which was mm. like extraordinary with mm. their attacking threat they had, mm-hmm. especially on the counter-attack. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, oh, he's a generational talent. I keep saying it. He's mm. just a player that just excites me every single game. Sadio Mane doing what Sadio Mane does. Mm. Be clutch. Um, and I think, yeah, in, from a tactical standpoint, that's probably the happiest I've been for at 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that a lot of people are saying Liverpool struck lucky, but really and truly, Leicester would have been very, very lucky to get a point yesterday. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I mean, before the game, there was a feeling around Liverpool that they were ripe and ready to drop points, you know, after labouring against, you know, Sheffield United, you know, getting the win against Salzburg in maybe unconvincing fashion after losing a three-goal lead. And I was messaging Dot, I was saying, Dot, I'm nervous about this game, you know. Mm. If we're going to drop points, it's going to be this game. But the way the game transpired, Liverpool controlled it from the beginning. You know, they were keeping the ball, mm. penning Leicester in their half, feeding the ball down the channels. But to be fair, Sonia Chu early on, you know, he was clearing the ball and mopping up mm-hmm. where necessary. Yeah. It's yeah. very good yeah, at that. Very, yeah. very good. Taking yeah. that, that yeah. full-back yeah. position and cleaning yeah. Yeah. The speed, like, mm. you think Martin, It's like Martin, a fast the... Harry Maguire, so it's kind of worth yeah, so to be fair, I thought it was a good win. People keep hyping up Leicester. Leicester, they're good, they're this and that. For me, in that game, I didn't see much. I was messaging mm. people saying, hold on here, 70 minutes, you haven't had a shot on target, you haven't had a shot at goal. You know, Liverpool managed them well. And for me, Jamie Vardy was missing in action. He didn't have a fiddle. He didn't have a sniff mm. of the game. Yeah, but... But yeah, that one one shot at the end didn't even kind of ran through and just yeah, yeah for seventy Adrian. minutes yeah, yeah yeah then Adrian cleared but, up but yeah I mean you're totally right in, with expected goals you obviously a rating of chance quality yeah, so you know the, mm-hmm. a, a shot in the six yard box is going to be a much better chance than a long range effort <laughs> Liverpool had three point six Leicester had zero point one which is one of one of the <laughs> biggest margins we, we've ever seen in the Premier League it's in the wow. like, top twenty biggest margins so oh, wow yeah. so really. You know, if that had ended one one, that would have been daylight robbery from Leicester. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, maybe the penalty was a bit dubious. And, Do you think you know. so? Don't <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, honestly, I don't know. I watched it a I mean, few times and I kept changing my mind. Mm. Did you see the major contact on it the did, ankle? The ankle get, snapped back. It yeah. was soft. It was a soft. <laughs> it was. Think. I think it was. Soft. It was one of those ones where it was both the penalty and a bit of a dive. I think you know because it was like he got. 
fouls, yeah. but they didn't Delayed go down straight away. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. But of course, well, Duncan, these are the dark arts that I think this <laughs> Liverpool team have developed over the years because before, Mane is going to stay up and try and score. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, they've said that they're you know, going to do a bit more gamesmanship this year after <laughs> last year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a Wickham fan, they're the, the masters of, um, of gamesmanship. Um, it's got so. But I went to him against Lincoln earlier this season, and we were we were winning, and the ball went behind the goal into the Wickham crowd, and they wouldn't give the ball back. And the Lincoln manager got so angry, <laughs> threw on another ball, and as soon as they threw on another ball, the Wickham fans threw the ball on the pitch and started singing, "We're time wasting expletives." We know what we are. <laughs> now I don't think Liverpool have got to those levels yet, no. but um, yeah, I mean Liverpool have more penalties than than any other team in, in Premier League history, but penalty you know, pool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, as a few Liverpool fans are pointing out this weekend, you know, Tottenham have had more penalties at the at the cop end in the last yeah, two seasons yeah. than Liverpool wow. have. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not, That's they haven't got that many recently. I mean, it was, what, 13 14. Um, yeah, Gerard got a load. Yeah. Yeah. But then, if you actually look like Sterling, Suarez, having so many touches in the box, you're going to get more penalties. Yeah. So. Mm. Wait, so Duncan, what, sorry, Budge, what, mm. what's your take on Brendan? Um, I think. He is a pretty good manager. I think mm. he's, you know, he's good at kind of improving players. Mm-hmm. Not convinced about his transfer acumen so much. You know, he obviously had, he had that. If you actually, there were a lot of articles last week, weren't there? You know, looking back at his time at Liverpool and, you know, some of the players he recommended, you know, the, the transfer committee said, let's buy Firmino. He was like, no, I want Benteke. And they kind of compromised and got both. You wanted now, Dempsey as well, I believe. Clint yeah, Dempsey. You want Clint Dempsey at like 30 well, years old, yeah. for yeah. a lot of money, you know, played. And he was ready to jump off a cliff for <laughs> Joe Allen for <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah. Well, if, if it was Joe Allen on a cliff, it would be probably a brick wall would be high. <laughs> <laughs> shortest midfielder ever but um, the, uh, no I mean he's I think he's a good manager I think obviously he's matured as well you know, he's still only yeah. 46 yeah. he's pretty yeah. young yeah. Yeah. so and you know Leicester have they didn't do much on, on Saturday yeah. but they have been good this season and mm. I do still if you look at the troubles at Arsenal at Spurs at United they've got a great chance of getting in the top four and it's weird I think there's yeah. a kind of like a half life of success in with Leicester when they won the league like I'm sure all the year it was just like well that I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But it took quite. But now my brain kind of goes, "Oh yeah, Leicester quite a big club now." You know, yeah, it's taken, yeah, 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 it's taken yeah. three years for my, my, me to, to get my head around that. Oh, yeah, Leicester. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, and I think a lot of people were surprised that Liverpool Leicester was at three o'clock on a Saturday. And, you know, mm. one of the big fixes yeah, in the yeah, Premier League. Yeah. You'd think they'd put on telly, but alas, not. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was definitely interesting. Um, and, and just to your point about Leicester, so, uh, of course, at the start of the season, I've, I, again, I'm just making the assumption that everyone thought the same, but it was always going to be Liverpool and City. And then a lot of people had uh, Spurs dead on mm. for, for third and then um, argued that, that, you know, fourth would be a race between um, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, United... And uh, and Leicester, mm. funnily enough. So, Boy, have Man City being dragged into a top four race? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. I, well, I, I, I guess it'd be interesting to, to to hear what everyone else think about it. But I, I, I'm, I'm very confident but it, that they will. Don't you think it's weird how quickly stuff becomes like the accepted thing? So uh, the last couple of years, yeah, it's been City and Liverpool. But the season mm. before that, when Chelsea won the league under Conte. 
you know, Guardiola at City and Liverpool both mm-hmm. struggled to get in the top four. They only really did it with a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. So this, it's only, it, football can change so quickly. It's um, context as well. Yeah. And also about Leicester, like one thing I'd like to say, their only losses this season have been away to Old Trafford and at Anfield and they've got a draw away at Chelsea. So when you look at the fixture list, they're mm. actually well-placed to challenge the top mm. six. I think that flies over a lot of people's head. Mm-hmm. And also, Duncan, I wanted to ask about um, Van Dijk. You see his metrics, have they dipped a bit? Because in the last week, you know, we've seen him have a bit of troubles. Let's be honest, he got spun against um, Salzburg. Mm. And again, yesterday, you know, the ball went in behind him mm. for the um, Madison goal. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's he looks less impressive when he's not playing with Matip as well. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. That, you know, Matip's one of the most underrated players, I think, in, uh, in particularly the last six months. Yeah, and obviously mm. there was that stat, um, which was big last season, which he hadn't been dribbled past for X. You know, yeah. like 60-year games at club level. Until that, you met uh, a guy that goes by the name of Nicola Pepe. Yeah, oh, yeah. It'd be interesting to see what his stats are after that encounter. Well, it's definitely having a lot of issues. Yeah, sure, it's Champions League. I think it's left squad issues. But I think if you're going to have a little dip, you know, do it in October, November. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll be right. And last point on Liverpool, Duncan, in terms of the high line, the... That everyone's been talking about. How does that match up to and to last season and in terms of offsides as well? Yeah, well, I think both for Liverpool and generally we're seeing teams um, play a bit higher this season. I think because they're more confident that the offside rule is going to, with VAR, is going to be kind of mm. applied better. So that's actually better. a thing? Yeah, yeah, you do see it. I mean, on a separate note, but like the average distance of shot from goal in the Premier League has gone down. So getting closer to goal every season for the last six seasons. And six seasons ago was when clubs started using expected goals. So you know, oh, right. you, th- these sort of things do kind of filter in eventually um, so basically last season Liverpool's second most offsides they provoked you know as, as in the opposition got the offside um, 124 that's about 3.3 a game mm. this year they're top by quite a long way they're on 4.4 a game so they're over wow. an additional offside every game so you can wow. definitely see that they are mm. it is something they're trying to do mm. it's an active strategy yeah. they're trying to yeah know, and it play. might it probably does lead to a few you know, but if you watch Liverpool games, you probably think that oh, they look a little bit more ropey at the back because mm. they're kind of maybe giving up bigger chances. But if it's as you said, if it's an applied strategy, then fair enough because they're doing. You know, m- most footballers just do what their managers tell them. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm always loath to c- criticise a footballer based on just a few numbers because you know the fullback might have terrible pass completion rate, but he might have been told by his manager just put it in the channel again mm. and again. Mm. So you know, he, yeah, blame the manager. Well, the last <laughs> thing on Liverpool, shout out Dejan Lovren. I know he's a polarising figure, you know, amongst <laughs> Liverpool fans, mm. but he did put on a performance yesterday. He was amazing. He was a rock at the back. amazing, yeah. Fair point. Now, another quite shocking result, um, <laughs> perhaps less so than City, given Ooh, the drubbing yes. that this team suffered um, uh, during, during, during the week in the Champions League to Bayern Munich. Um, but uh, Brighton hosted Tottenham at the uh, Amex Stadium. And, and run away with a 3-0 win. Now, I, I mean, you know, we, we, we mentioned uh, off there that, you know, given the fact that they, uh, and this is Spurs that I'm referring to, um, were, were, you know, suffered defeat in, in the way that they did in, in midweek. You know, this often tends to sort of spill over into the next game after that. And it's, it's very difficult to build back up confidence um, after that kind of result. Um, but 
I mean, yeah, what, what's happening at Spurs? Where, where did they go? Was it just purely a confidence issue on uh, on the weekend? Or was was it something to do with uh, Poch's tactics? What we saw, you know, yesterday was footballing's version of PTSD. You know, post-traumatic <laughs> stress disorder. Yeah, because yeah. What, what Spurs <laughs> suffered midweek was a terrifying ordeal. Mm. And football is a sport that continues to go on and on. Mm. It's not like they're a boxer or a tennis player that can say, you know what, I'm taking six weeks off. Yeah, yeah. You know, football turns around really quick. And what I saw in their performance yesterday was a real lack of application. Mm. I mean, I'm not sure if you saw for the first goal, Lamella when he went to try and block the cross, it was a half ass mm-hmm. effort. And, you know, Hugo Lloris making a, a mistake. Mm. You know what I mean? When it rains, it pours. Mm. Tottenham's form over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months has been terrible. I mean, they've, you know, lost as many games as they've won this year. Pathetic. I think which is, yeah, which is mm. I think, 17 or mm-hmm. 19 games. So this shows that this is a long-term issue. And there's been questions about Pochettino, whether he should leave. I think this- he has to go. This Tottenham wow, team, okay. what I'll say, they're at the end of their cycle, but mm. I still believe Pochettino is the right man to, you know, implement a new cycle. When mm. you look at the players that have been brought in, they brought in, you know, Ndombele, Ryan Sessegnon, Jay Clark, that's gone to um, Leeds back on loan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Lo of all these new signings, Ndombele is the only one that's been playing regularly. Mm. And I think this team needs wholesale changes. I think you need to break up the Tongan and all the world. I think Lloris, <laughs> I don't think is a top keeper. I think they need to change that. And, mm-hmm. Tottenham need to show Mauricio Pochettino the money because they look like they're dwindling. Mm. I think when you want to look at a game and say what type of performance gets a manager sacked, <laughs> honestly, you, you, you need to look at that yeah. game yesterday mm. because Tottenham were awful. I think that's the worst I've seen them play since AVB's final days as manager. Mm. Um, Harry Kane, I put it to the table quite a while back saying that can he still press from the front and from what I saw yesterday I don't mm. think so because he seems like he's becoming an inbox player yeah but don't you think the midweek game that knocks the stuffing out of you mentally and physically yeah, you but cannot be as, the same 100% but I think as professionals you need to bounce back from that you need to put that to one side and say you know what we need to perform you can't though it's difficult of, Seven, of course, two, of course very, yeah. very difficult. so that yeah. means that means we can excuse them for every single week after that then you can't no, but I think it's different. I mean, losing, getting that the immediate game, game after yeah, that it's as well. very, very difficult. You're just, always going to see a follow-through that, period. I just feel that the basics, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, but in terms of the basics mm. in football, I don't think Tottenham done any of that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And I feel that Davison Sanchez needs to come back into that centre-back position because I feel that out of the world and Vertonga and the tread on the tyres are starting to show on both of them. Lloris, um... I heard he dislocated his arm. Yeah, which yeah we wish him well. Really, really, really unfortunate. Yeah, it, 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 like, it looks horrible. It looked like it had snapped. But mm. um, yeah, I think it's it's one of those ones that's probably not as bad as it First looks. Yeah. He's mm. probably going to be back quicker than people think, whether that's a good thing or not. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't diminish how I, I imagine it, it, it hurt. It's like the, the, the pain to longevity ratio is high. So... Um, it's the first time Spurs have let in 10 goals across two games since 1997, which is kind of... Oh, wow. Well, Duncan, when was the last time Arsenal did that? Uh, 
probably the, when they lost 8-2 to United. I thought the group chat was going to be on to you, man. But I, I think we shouldn't overlook how well Brighton played in that game as well. You know, they were really good and mm-hmm. they have they possibly haven't got the results they've deserved this season. You know, played better than the, the points mm-hmm. they've got and, um, you know, they... They looked. I mean, they looked like Bayern at some point. So, um, and <laughs> Bayern Hall Albion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw your tweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, Aaron Connolly, de- teenage mm, debut, gets two him. goals, yeah. and you know, he had a brilliant um, interview after the game. Where he was like, um, "Oh, just just amazing playing the Premier League. I used to sit at home watch Premier League years, mm-hmm. like we all did, and you know, to actually go and score two goals in it is it's decent." So, yeah, but Spurs do look look in disarray really, and. You know, it's kind of the worst time to do it as well. We've got, we're basically heading into the international break with, you know, a number of Premier League clubs in sort of inverted commas crisis. And I would be very surprised if when the league starts again in two weeks, whether the exact 20 managers are all the same. Wow. wow. Yeah, you really think there's going to be some casualties? There'll be some, Michael some Silver, yeah, Marcus Silver is on, yeah, thin on ice. The but um, that's interesting. Yeah. I think we need to just shine a spotlight on Pochettino because this sort of form needs to be it needs to be addressed I mean what's happened at Tottenham and I said it Duncan I'm not sure if you heard me but I said it after the Champions League semi-final I was like this Tottenham team is done and I got a strange look by this table <laughs> and they were thinking oh what are you talking about you're, no you're but crazy. Pochettino came and out and said as much he said <laughs> it that this is the end of this cycle that this team's going to need some uprooting mm. he's going to but Show him the money. Yeah, but then Daniel sh- surely the spotlight needs to be with the manager. I'm Pochettino's biggest mm. fan, but honestly, it may be time to go. Yeah, but has he had the investment? Yes, he he's spent, spent 120 mil plus. I know Lesselso is alone with a agreement to buy, mm. but 60 mil on Endo Billy, 60 mil on Lesselso, 25 million plus on Sessignon. Have they been playing? Have they been playing? A team that's gone to the Champions League mm. final, Liverpool done literally mm. pretty much the same spending as that. And they've got 97 points. But they've not been playing. Have we seen Sessignon in a Tottenham shirt? No. Le Celso's only played like 44, 47 minutes of action. Spurs have got a very bad record of integrating players, I think, which is, you know, remember, remember when um, Gareth Bell left and they had that yeah. windfall? And, and yeah, Chadley, yeah, yeah. Ericsson. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a few of them came good. But Lamella's classic, didn't he? Sort of came in, struggled, got a bit better, has gone mm. back a bit. So, I mean, <laughs> I saw a few people make the point over the weekend that Pochettino at Spurs now is a little bit like Klopp at Dortmund when that all went wrong. It doesn't mean that he's a bad manager exactly. just yeah, that yeah. mate it sometimes you know a relationship you know needs to needs mm. to change so yeah. yeah but Duncan you say that but the difference is Dortmund won trophies and Dortmund lost their best players yeah yeah Tottenham mm. haven't lost any you know of their star players but I just think Pochettino people calling for him to you know leave I think you've got to be careful what you wish for. I think, I think, Poch- no, I think Pochettino is the man to lead the rebuild. Mm. I think some of these players need to leave. And it's similar to what, you know, Simeone done at Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. There were times when people said, you know what, this project is dead. What did he do? He went for the strong characters, the mm. Goldens, um, <clears throat> the right back as well. That's what Pochettino needs to do. He mm. needs to find out the big characters. It's not going to be nice, but <laughs> he needs to take them out because mm. this Tottenham team, they're on their last legs. They've hit a brick wall mm. and they need some fresh investment. So he needs to be knocking on Daniel Levy's door and saying, you know what? I need these new players. Are you going to deliver them or not? If not, then see you later. I yeah. think this is Pochi's swan song. I don't think he'll be there next season. I think it's time to move on. 
It's not a bad thing, as Duncan said. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that he's failed as Tottenham manager. He's taken them from pretenders to contenders. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the most he can do with that team. So which managers do you think can come in? Give me some candidates. I'm, I'm not saying that the next manager is going to be a better option than Poch. But in terms of getting a fresh, you know, impetus into that team, mm-hmm. you need to get a new manager. Or there needs to be serious investment, yeah, as you the, said. Yeah. And Spurs are an attractive club. Like, you know, they're yeah. based in London, so they can attract good players. They've but they don't this... win trophies. Well, yeah, but I don't think people look at that. I think they'll look at the stadium. You know, they've... London. Yeah, they've, mm-hmm. they've, they've got to the Champions League final. Their kind of star has risen a lot recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, from our point of view, if you, you know, there's some teams... I mean, a few years ago, Dortmund, you know, people wouldn't have... Yeah, obviously a big team in Germany, but yeah, like the yeah. fact that they had this spell of success kind of raises their profile. Yeah, and yeah, now, yeah. you know, you see kids walking around yeah, wearing yeah. Dortmund shirts and stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's kids in Germany and Spain wearing Spurs shirts some places. Mm. So, you know, I think they're still an attractive club, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it does look a bit bleak. So, Duncan, do you think Pochettino should leave or stay? Because they've got some, you I know, think he two, better, man. Yeah, two games. You know, after the international break, which are key for me, they've got Watford at home yeah. and they've got Red Star at home. Yeah. I think if you're not winning both of those, there might be some well, questions. The, the ridiculous thing is that the group stage is not dead and buried by the slightest. You know, they've, they've lost 17 to Bayern, but it's a great, that's one defeat out of six. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got to draw Olympiacos. You know, that's not too bad. Win, win the both games against um, Red Star and they're not looking too bad. So, yeah, I think, um, it, yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's a really tricky time. And, and fans of every club go through it. And I think, mm. you know, to your point about it's time to go, I think in England we kind of over-fetishise the length of managers staying. You know, like mm-hmm, Ferguson yeah. at United, Wenger at Arsenal. Yeah, so it's yeah. like the perfect manager will be so perfect he never needs to change. But mm. that isn't the case. You know, it it's a cycle. Mm. Yeah. I fully agree. I think also, just before we move on, on 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 the uh, the t- topic of investment, I, f- I feel like to a certain extent we need to sort of uh, turn away from looking at investment in terms of monetary yeah, value, yeah. and instead we look at uh, addressing certain issues. Yeah. Because we could very easily look at United, for example, and we look at the monetary value of how much they've invested and say, oh, they spent X amount, so they should be um, mm. uh, in a much better place. But when you look at what they've actually bought and how they've actually addressed issues, they haven't really, you know, they've got, they've got in a, a centre back, they've got in a right back, but there are still some key areas that mm-hmm. need, they need to address. Mm-hmm. And I feel like definitely it, it has to be more a case of, okay, what needs to be addressed? What are the issues that this team uh, are facing and, and addressing it in that sense? But I think this is where data comes into quite a lot. When you look at clubs like Liverpool and City, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, they put in systems at those clubs where it's a lot more holistic. You know, in some senses, it doesn't matter who the manager is. They've got systems, they've got mm-hmm. transfer committees, they've got data analysts. And, they, you know, like City brought in Bernardo Silva to replace David Silva, but with a two-year crossover period. So there's no kind of gap. Yeah. United yeah. aren't doing that. They're like waking up, in, <laughs> waking up in July and going, oh, yeah, we need a midfield. I knew there was something on the to-do list. You know, and basically, if you look back at Liverpool like that in the 90s, you know, and yeah. Scattergun, you know, they let Jared Houllier spend a load of money on El Hajjouf and people. That, there was no kind of planning to it. Whereas now, you know, now it's, there are a lot more, those two teams are a lot more kind of better organised and we've seen the results. So. Yeah, and absolutely. Now, whilst we are talking about United, um, Newcastle hosted them at St. James's Park today um, and uh, managed to go go away with uh Thought he's three looking points. at me like I should be explaining <laughs> all his sins. Don't want me to oh, too. But as Duncan, you know, said eloquently, mm. Man City and Liverpool are streets ahead of Man United. 
when you look at Liverpool set up, Michael Edwards, he's the one that, you know, guides the whole recruitment structure. Mm-hmm. When you look at City, they've got Tiki Berigstein, yeah, Sor- yeah. Soriano. Yeah. And it just looks to me like the Man United board are failing Oli. I know people say, oh, yeah, but we don't see a style of play. But Oli, you cannot tell me Oli purposely wanted this squad. There's mm. players that he wanted out, and I'm sure he gave them a list of names that he wanted in, and Ed Woodward hasn't delivered these things. Mm. And now we're seeing that, that yeah. all culminated on the pitch. Because he wanted Longstaff, and they didn't get Longstaff. <laughs> and we saw what Longstaff and his brother done today. <laughs> Turns out well. any, any member of the Longstaff family <laughs> would, would have been better. So. Yeah, I just think Man United, they're, you know, they're in danger of going in the doldrums. They're going to mm. have to go through a lot of pain. This mm. is a team that's been synonymous with winning trophies, winning matches, but they're going through a lean period. Football's in cycles. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this is going to be their cycle without winning the Premier League. And I kind of feel for Oli. I know people, he might be a poor manager, mm-hmm. but when you have not got the structures above your head in place, you're going to suffer. You're going to mm. feel it. Butch, that was um, probably the worst two managers in the league playing each other. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just about who's gonna get their tactics right on the day mm-hmm. and it seems Steve Bruce outweighed Ollie uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of the game um, I said that we should give Steve Bruce some time I don't think he's a good manager but I feel that he at least deserves a chance I know there's been a bit of a backlash at Newcastle because Rafa Benitez was a cult hero at the club, but I feel that Steve Bruce can he can maybe do a decent job there. He need, he needs a chance. Um, just to go back to the game, it's just a typical Man United performance in my opinion. Um, lethargic. Um, the ball was getting worked really slow in transition. Um, counter attacking play was pretty poor. Marcus Rashford, let's just call the spade a spade, he's shit. Um, <laughs> mm, that's a big call. It, well, it's interesting because we said Monday night, United-Arsenal. Um, we had today, Newcastle-United. Uh, and, you know, they they are, in the 90s and 2000s, they were massive games. You, know, you watch them today. Like, yeah. I was watching it with my son this afternoon and I, and I was like, this used to be, honestly, <laughs> mid-90s. This game was like, the whole country would stop because it was like Newcastle v Man United. He was like, seriously? He's like, <laughs> yeah. why? He's like, he couldn't even, he's nine, he couldn't even get his head around the, the, the idea that these two could have once, you know, contested the title. And it's, it's. I mean, you can understand a little bit of Newcastle because they've been, you know, mm. up and down for a long time. But mm. United, you know, yeah, it's the decline is huge. It's yeah, been years say, and years of mismanagement, to be honest. They've had it since Fergie's left. They brought in David Moyes, didn't work. You bring in Louis van Gaal, it didn't work. Mourinho. But it sort of did work. I mean, Van Gaal and Mourinho at least won trophies. Yes. You know, you, and I did a thing for a feature with someone the other week and I looked at Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho, uh, Solskjaer, looked at like the key players in there and he actually looked back and, you know, Rooney was, yeah, he wasn't, as Van Gaal said, oh mm. yeah, Rooney was past it but he was still my best player but he was still producing. Mm. Van Persie still did it for, for Moyes a bit. You know, and each season as it goes past, yeah. the, you know, Pogba had a good season but then it's just getting, you know, look at the team today. I mean, I saw a few United fans mm. tweeting before the game that it was one of the weakest starting 11s they put out for yeah, you know, yeah. a decade. And that's so. what I'm saying. So do you think that's Ollie's problem or is it holistically well, I, the I club? I think holistically the club yeah. is, very, is badly run and yeah. they need to sort that out whether they will or not remains to be seen. But I also think it's not like an either or. You know, I, I don't think Solskjaer's up to the job either. <laughs> yeah. like, I think a really good manager could, could 
could do better. Could do better with that system, but still struggle. Yeah. Or, you know, Solskjaer in a perfectly running club would do a bit better because, you know, mm, better That's players. what I think, but yeah. It's kind of the, the, what's the opposite of a, it's a catch-22, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I was thinking because, you know, in his post-match interview was like, um, I've implemented my methods and, my, and the players are playing the style of football that I want. And I was thinking, what style of football do you want? Is your philosophy for the Man United players just to turn up on the pitch or something? Because I don't see anything there. And he was like, oh, um, the boys run their socks off. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, like, that was a shocking performance. And you need to sometimes give your players a reality check to the media and be harsh on them. And every time he's backing them, when clearly the performances are not good enough at Man United. But they haven't got and I see them finishing outside of the top six this season. To be fair, they haven't got the players, you know, Pogba's injured, Martial's injured. So that means you can't win a game. Is I'm not saying that, but that's because it's a quality, week, Man United F- is a quality issue. Are they, they in haven't relegation, got a, Okay, so is, is that Man United, <laughs> is that Man United <laughs> team worse than the Newcastle team? Come on, be shameless and say yes. <laughs> I wouldn't say it is, but there's not a massive, massive, a massive goal. Difference. I don't think there's a massive... Come on, when, that Newcastle when that team game, is terrible. When I saw You've that got game... Armour that hasn't scored when a I saw this round of fixtures, When I saw this round of fixtures, I knew Man United weren't winning it. Because they're away from home and because they're... Really? Yeah, you thought Man United weren't going to yeah, win? 110%. And to put it into context, 110%. Steve Bruce had never beaten Man United in his entire managerial career. How many games is that? I think it was his 23rd game today. So, I mean, as a former Man United man... Maybe he was helping him out, but I don't think so. But, you know, it just puts it into perspective. You know, he it's weird as well with Steve Bruce. He's only won two games this season, but he's beaten Pochettino and he's beaten uh, Solskjaer. So maybe he's... I think we're being harsh on Steve Bruce. I know he's not the greatest mm. of manager, but I'm I'm happy to give him a chance to prove himself. What I just said about Steve Bruce is his um, uh, fringe... Championship <laughs> Premier League level manager, and I think we've seen that over the course of his career. But I think you could argue that Solskjaer is as well. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took Cardiff down, yeah, yeah, and then left Cardiff near the start of the following season because they'd started badly. Mm. So yeah, it's you know. true. You're true. It's I mean, everyone, everyone kind of laughed at Paul Ince when he said, "Oh, they should have given the job <laughs> yeah. to um, Mark Hughes or Steve Bruce." <laughs> I and mean, would it have been that much worse? <laughs> Probably. Mark, as I said, <laughs> Mark Hughes is. Um, Managing in the VAR era would have been something to behold because the man blames referees for literally everything. But um, yeah, so but it's just you can't see a way back for them. Really, you know they had a run of games: Rochdale, AZ, Altmar, and um, and Newcastle. And every match was a life and death. Yeah, I saw one stat that you done uh, about Man United. I think in the Europa League, maybe about shots on target. I believe. Yeah. I um and I'll dig it out because it's yeah cause I there were some nomadic teams. names there that they were adding to. I forgot what it was. But and yeah. one more, Duncan. I need to pull you up on one of your tweets because it broke the internet. <laughs> 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 the Jesse Lingard in two thousand nineteen. Just the old day to day one. Yeah. Well, he's now since. I've tweeted that he's now gone September as well. Oh, okay, so okay. That, that's an agenda. He's had another month and he's injured, so he might add October. So <laughs> could do a calendar year, which would be impressive. <laughs> now, the one you're referencing was, um, yeah, it was clubs uh, to fail to have a shot on target in a Europa League game in the past three years include Skender Bo Korche, Zoya Luhansk, Osmanlisport and Manchester United. It's, so, it's terrible. The big you're telling me that that's a manager <laughs> that <laughs> can potentially do a job with, with investment. But just to go back to the game quickly, I think mm. the Longstaff brothers were Tremendous. brilliant in the midfield. Mm. 
I mean, I watched their post-match interview and that made me fall back in love with the game. I mean, to see brothers just talking like that, mm. one's 19, one's 21, 21 and yeah. they're just enjoying the moment. And it's like a dream come true for the both of them. Mm. I know, you know, adding the scalp of Man United, as they said, you know, they dreamed of that this morning mm. and for it to come true is, is major. But it just, you know, shows the decline of Manchester United. Mm. They're in a big, big mess. I still think Oli's the right man for the job with two more windows and massive investment. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, you know, would disagree with each game that goes by that he doesn't win. You know, he's losing his supporters. But what's that? Are you going to back him until he gets sacked, basically? Until he gets investment. The defence has been added to Maguire, Wan-Bissaka, but that team needs more structural change. Mm-hmm. And in that middle, if he can add, you know, players, because he said, he's come out and said, I want to play like Liverpool and Manchester City. <laughs> They haven't got the profile of players to do that. Mm-hmm. And until they invest massively in that midfield department, it's going to be the same mode for Manchester United. Shout out to Tuan Zabi, though. I think he played really well. He has all the attributes to be a really good centre-back in the Premier League. I, yeah, I like yeah, the yeah. look of him. They have got a lot of good young players, but it's just when you've got that generation of players, you look at the, the class of 92 um, when they came through, you know, they had all the senior pros like Hughes, Ince, Cantona, you know, oh, yeah. players that yeah. if they were struggling would would help them mm-hmm. out. They're, you know, you look now and the, the senior players United. Yeah, actually young. Um, yeah, so it's not good. <laughs> what, what was that stat on Jesse Lingard? Sorry, just to go back. What so was... basically he had a weird thing last season where all of his goals and assists came in one month, one calendar month, December. So he had a... Oh, wow. Basically, and that was when Solskjaer took over. Was it in December was like, or something? Yeah, and everyone was like, ah, oh, Jesse Lingard's back oh, and, you know... And then... <laughs> scoring midfield. Now. Basically, <laughs> then it just tailed off again. So, you know, you do get... I mean, Jordan Henderson, to be fair, all his goals and assists in the Premier League last year came in April. Um... So but that's a good time to do it because yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. everyone remembers. Yeah. yeah, fair point. Okay, now Chelsea travelled to uh, St Mary's um, today and, and 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 took all three points, uh, winning four one. Um, you know, Tammy Abraham on a score sheet again. Mason Mount, Kante, uh, and Michi Batshuayi, the Batman. The Batman. Um, yeah. What What are your thoughts on on that game, guys? Is it is it again just an, another? Uh, thumbs up for Lampard and, and his philosophy and his imprint on that on that Chelsea team. That was like one of the games that you will say Chelsea can lose here. Mm. And for minute one, I mean, actually, they started off rocky, tell a lie. They started off rocky, but from about 10 minutes, they, they settled the game down and they looked really strong throughout the game. Mm. Um, Tamori had a bit of a odd game. He was mm. making silly mistakes, getting caught out on the ball. And I remember during the game, I was like, this is what I saw in the under-21 tournament mm-hmm. as to why I had reservations about him. But I think he's going to be a good defender. Mm-hmm. Still um, young. I really yeah. love Mason Mount. I don't know if it's only me, but no, I'm a big fan he's, of he's going yeah, yeah. to be a brilliant player. Mm. Yeah, I thought the game was very interesting. You know, Chelsea coming away to Southampton. Southampton are a team that expected so much more I don't know what's wrong this with season. Them. But I yeah. think Tammy Abraham, the young guns again, I know Duncan was talking about, you know, having young players and experienced players. Chelsea seem to have a good mix. They've got N'Golo Kante, they've got Jorginho, Kovacic. Willian as well, who's brilliant today. Willian, and they've got the perfect blend of young players as well. Tammy Abraham, Hudson-Odoi, mm-hmm. you know, Mason Mount, Tomori, mm-hmm. all coming Even in. Even Pulisic. Pulisic came on yeah. an assist. What an assist, yeah. what an assist yeah. Duncan. What's your take on Callum Hudson-Odoi? That's to the table. Well, A, he's... 
come back from an Achilles injury faster than anyone I've ever known in the history of <laughs> that used to be like a career ending injury yeah. and, I mean I know they said it wasn't a full rupture but fair play that is impressive to come back that quickly um, and I do think you know his England debut um, was it early this year or last year he was really good you know he looked better than Sancho that night and I do think you know you, you don't get into a tug of war between Chelsea and Bayern Munich unless you're pretty yeah, good yeah. um so i think you know that's assisting three games in a row now for him since he wow. came back so i think he's, he's are those rumors re- true about him signing a a six-figure contract at, um at chelsea recently and apparently he's well he has signed, he he has signed, signed a new deal yeah the way clubs yeah invest mm. in their players nowadays but i think yeah hudson odoi i remember listening to talks but maybe three four years ago and one guy was saying, this is the best 15-year-old I've ever, ever seen. And, you know, he needs to show it in the seniors. But I think he's got all the hallmarks of a top, top winger. Mm. I mean, Jaden Sancho, that's his competition. Is he mm. better? Nah, not I'm yet. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. We don't know yet. We haven't seen it's, him long enough. Sancho not enough of a sample size. Amazing. Yeah, it's not enough. Exactly. We haven't seen, mm. you know, enough of him to be able to judge that. But mm. certainly when he was 15, 16... Callum Hudson-Odoi was the guy that was getting all the hype. So let's see if he can do it regularly. You, you wonder, um, like City, with all their struggles today, they didn't, Phil Foden was still sat on the bench not playing. He must look at <laughs> some of the players at Chelsea now and think, you know, it's, um, you know, will I get a chance at City compared to, you know, like Mason Mount is now probably what is way ahead of Foden in the pecking yeah, order for England. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it has been forced on Chelsea, and it is quite weird to get your head around Chelsea being this kind of like promoter of youth after mm. so many years of just. You yeah. Know. yeah, I think they've <laughs> but, lost the generation of youngsters due to not actually playing them. Yeah. When you look over the years, Josh McCracken, Gail Kakuta, yeah. you know, yeah. Ole A and all these yeah, types yeah, of players, yeah. they've lost players. They even took one of their traditional transfer bands over Gail Kakuta, but still didn't play him much. So. <laughs> Crazy. It's really interesting, especially because. Again, when we look at the start of the season and what our predictions would have been, I think a lot of people would have said um, and accepted that Chelsea wouldn't have finished in the top four and and given them, you know... Do you uh, think... I, well, I, I think a lot of people, yeah, people had them. But, well, given given the yeah, fact that they've did, obviously had I this ban and too. and they've lost their they had lost their best player. I mean, if they hadn't finished outside the top four, I don't think anyone would have, you know, no. been too surprised with that. Um, and obviously, we, we've been speaking about how, you know, uh, Chelsea are seemingly likely to give uh, Lampard the benefit of the doubt, give him time and so on and so forth. And he's sort of the best figure at this given moment in time for that role, mm-hmm. given all of the, the different moving pieces and stuff. So with, 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 with that being said, and with the way that they're playing at the moment, do you guys feel that they will finish in the top four come the end of the season? I think defence is still an issue. You know, they're letting mm. they've let in fourteen goals this season, which is like more than um more than Everton are in the bottom three. So I think wow. they're they're still cool. they're still leaking. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, this was the third this the third away game in a row that scored three mm. goals or mm. more. First time they've done that for since the Ancelotti era. So That's, yeah. You know, um, they're they're kind of and again, it feels weird to talk about Chelsea like this. They're now like the big, the great entertainers, aren't they? You know, you yeah, go to yeah, Chelsea. Yeah. Like, so many times in the past yeah. decade, Chelsea game going like, oh, 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 all right, I'll watch it. But you, you expected some sort of functional performance. <laughs> now, you're kind of going, oh, Chelsea playing. That's football, quite good. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, and yeah, I think I've seen tweets from Chelsea fans going, oh, this this their favourite season for decades because like they've got Lampard as manager, they've got all the kids playing mm. and they're just really enjoying it. So Yeah, just to butcher us is Duncan's point. I mean like 
with Chelsea um, away from home, I had concerns. I thought they would actually struggle away, but it seems mm. like their away form is actually picking up mm-hmm. quite well. Um, I would love to find out, Duncan, in terms of away from home versus at home in terms of chance creation, because I feel that once the pressure is on them to break down a low block, that's where they may struggle. Whereas when they're playing away from home, they can really hit teams on the counter. Mm. Yeah, also, to be honest, I think, you know, Chelsea, I had them down as finishing maybe fifth or sixth. Mm. But they're doing their thing. They're mm-hmm. playing well. When you speak to Chelsea fans, they're enjoying it. Yeah. The thing with Chelsea, no matter what happens, you know you're going to watch an exciting game. Yeah. They're going to yeah. concede. And there was a stage in that game when it was 2-1. Southampton <laughs> were looking like they were knocking on the door to yeah. make it 2-2. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't convert their chances. Then Chelsea just went up the other end and scored. And, yeah, it's going to be a fun season. I mean, Lampard promoting youth. Mm. Let's not forget, he's worked with Tomori and Mason Mount at his time at Derby. Mm. So he knows their strengths. Very he knows well, yeah. how to fill them in. And, you know, Kurt Zuma played okay today, played decent. But I think you're going to have to, you know, build a solid defence because they keep chopping and changing. And that's going to be to their undoing. Yeah, I mean, back to your point about the difference between home and away. Mm. So at home, they've um, got an XG of eight and they've only scored six times. So they're mm. basically underperforming at home. But it's a completely different story at, um, away from home when they've got an XG of just under seven. Um, but they've scored twelve goals, so they're basically, oh, wow. you know, yeah. More some reason. of those like I, I'm at, like the Wolves game, particularly. You know, t- Tammy Abraham's XG in that game was pretty low because of most of those yeah, goals those were kind of. I mean, they were great finishes, clutch, yeah. and that's fine. It, you, it may be that he is a really, really good finisher. It's going to consistently finish mm. above his XG. That's a totally valid thing, but you know, you, you do wonder whether the away form is perhaps a bit better than they deserve so far. Mm. But who, you know, who knows and. It's entertaining. So. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. I really like what Lampard is doing there. I mean, the boys are playing a great brand of football. Mm. And yeah, Chelsea, it looks good for them right now. Absolutely. So just rounding off uh, the fixtures from, from uh, Sunday, um, Arsenal hosted uh, Bournemouth at the Emirates um, <laughs> and Grum- took three, all three points. Grumpiest one whenever. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nicola Pepe um, got the assist. And the, uh, the the goal was scored by David Luiz. So mm. I think an unlikely assist and an unlikely goal. <laughs> Two players that have come yeah. under fire in previous weeks. Absolutely. You know, David Luiz because of his poor finishing and Nicolas Pepe for, you know, not justifying mm. that hefty price tag that's mm. been weighing on his shoulders. But again, before the game, Bournemouth at home, it's a tricky one. They've got the profile to go to any away ground mm. and give you, you know, hell yeah. for leather. Yeah, yeah. And for Arsenal, you know, to, to win the game, it's a good win. And, now, Arsenal, what? Two points behind City. So when you put mm. in perspective, people are like, oh, Emre out, Emre this and that. But where do you expect them to be? You know, they're primed to be in the top four. Although, you know, the football's not great. But again, football's all about context. Yeah, I think the Arsenal fans, and you'll obviously know more, but like, the, you know, the big concern is that Emery's just too conservative, too cautious. Mm-hmm. You know, their last, Arsenal's last shot on target in this game was in the 30th minute. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, oh, the group chat is going to be going crazy. The two games this season where they've had a lot of shots, Arsenal, um, have been Spurs at home and Villa at yeah. home, but both those games they went down early, so they've had to like come yeah. out yeah. and yeah. show. Yeah. You know, and you, I felt a bit sorry for Aubameyang today, basically, you know, hardly had a sniff really. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, it is Bournemouth at home, you can probably afford to be a little bit, <laughs> you know, Bournemouth a decent game forward, but you know, away at the big six, yeah. they ship goals for fun, so yeah. Yeah, and just to um, go back to the game, 
Um, obviously, I don't watch it, um, but it seems that like it's one of those games that you just need to get the win and go on international mm-hmm. break. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism um, for Una Emre, but I believe going into the second international break, third in the season, you got to give credit and accolades where it's due. And yep. at one point behind Manchester City. Is it one or two? One point. Yeah, one, one point. Is it one point? Oh, I mm. said two point. Yeah, one point. That's what I'm saying. So when you put football in context, it's not too bad after all. Yeah, mm. I mean, in terms of Pepe as well, I mean, last season in um, in Ligue 1, he got 22 goals mm. and 11 assists. So 33 goal involvements in 38 appearances, which, yeah, all right, it's League 1 and some of those goals were penalties. But, yeah, given the price that we'd have expected more so far. But, yeah, maybe this is the sign that he's, as we said earlier, you know, it takes a while for players to settle in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, maybe this is the start of a of a better run for him. Do you think he's a good player? Because some people, you know, you might say they've got an agenda, but for me, when you look at an attacker, he lacks that aggressivity. You know, there's some strikers you'll be saying, mm. oh, you know, if he continues making those runs, mm. the goals will come. Yeah. But he also used the word uh, devilman in, in, um, mm. recently yeah. as well mm. to describe the kind of that way real, that yeah. a, a, a striker or a forward player mm. needs to needs to be, you know. Mm. He lacks yeah. that real hunger. Yeah. I like, wouldn't you know, say hunger. Other, I just think that more bite, that bite. Yeah, that so, body language, yeah. you know, with Mane Salah, you know, you know Sterling, they want to do you damage. Yeah. He looks like, you know, it's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, possibly. And I mean, a lot of clubs looked at buying him and, you know, a lot obviously didn't. Arsenal have gone for it. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's too, you know, it's only October, it's quite early to to say he's going to be a success or not in the Premier League. But, um, yeah, I think judge him, possibly judge him like halfway through next season, I think. I think um, Dej um, asked me the question off air. He was asking, um, who does he think, who do I think is going to score more goals out of Mason Mount and Pepe Mm. this season? If I had to know your, if you had to know your colours to the mask, who would you go with? Well, I mean, you'd probably say Mason Mount at the moment, but you could. Pepe's one of those players you could see just going on a little run mm. in like February, March. You know, just suddenly, you know, maybe getting a hat trick away at, at someone lower down. And mm. yeah, I mean, it also depends how the season goes. You know, Bama Yang is imperious at the moment, of course, but yeah, he, could, of he could get injured. Lacazette's obviously injured. You know, mm. will he come back? It's um. You know, Martinelli's obviously doing really well as well. He, is, he looks like a, a, a good talent. Yeah, he came on in this game and it looked really good, and actually won quite a lot of aerials, which is something that um, Pepe doesn't really do. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, just to add to the point, is after the international break, Arsenal oh, should have man. you know Kieran Tierney back, yeah. Hector Bellerin, and this is going to add another facet to Arsenal's mm. yes, Arsenal. So they they built a good foundation to kick on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So all's not doom and gloom for Arsenal so yeah their fans should be optimistic for the future yeah absolutely and just like uh, Dot mentioned three points in the bag and um, now, now, now yeah exactly mm. we, we, we go away for the international break uh, and then can recoup um, and regroup over, over the next couple of weeks man mm. um, now Norwich hosted um, Aston Villa at, um, at Carrow Road um, another very interesting um, result. I'm not sure if it was Aston Villa or Aston Munich with, uh, <laughs> with, with the kind of performance they, uh, they put in and, and how oh, clutch they were in front of goal. Mm. Um, but what, what did you guys manage to catch uh, the yeah. game or highlights and, and what would you, what you guys think about? Yeah, I saw some highlights of the game. Mm. 5-1. I mean, wow. I mean, before the game, Dean Smith was saying, you know, last season, I think Norwich done the double over them. And he said, this season, we're a completely different team. 
and how right was he? Mm-hmm. You know, five one and Norwich they seem to hit the buffer since that three two win yeah, against yeah, Man City. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the first goal they've scored since that. You know, mm. since that um, win against Man City, and it seems to have knocked the stuff in against them. Mm. What's, happened to, yeah, what's happened to Pookie? No, I think Norwich have got massive, massive injuries. They've got around 10 injuries yeah, yeah, or yeah. so, and that seems to be hampering them. Against City, we saw them playing out from the back. Everything was perfect. Mm. In this game, you know, they had like two goals conceded against them through mistakes. And the aptly named Marvellous Nakamba, I mean, he's been playing really, really well in that midfield. He gives Grealish and McGinn, you know, the spring to go and play. And it was a complete dominating performance. You know, the only blot on the copybook was Tyrone Mings's mistake at the end, yeah, which yeah, came yeah, from a bit yeah. of compulsion. You know, we've secured this win. So Aston Villa, you know, they're where they want to be. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's it. Duncan, is there is there any possibility that we can get something in terms of McGinn? Um, his output in terms of probably mm. chance creation to the top midfielders in the Premier League shine, because he's really team. been a, a top performer in the Premier mm-hmm. League and I feel that he can move on to bigger and better down the line. Mm. Do, you see, prob- do you see him getting a move? Yeah. Um, With Oli at the wheel at Man United, of course. That's that's his <laughs> typical profile player. Mm. Even Someone Grealish. He's still quite young as well. He's only 24. Mm. Um, Even Grealish as well played well yesterday. Mm. The striker Wesley Suarez as well. He, he put in a shift and the Aston Villa, one thing about them, going forward, they look like they're a real threat. Mm. The problem is whether defensively they can keep the door shut, but you would think with John Terry in their ranks, that shouldn't really be an issue. But so, With Aston Villa, they're a weird one because I don't think they can spring consistent results, mm. but I feel that they have a one-off game just like what they've done against Norwich in terms of battering a team. In terms of staying up, I'm still yet to be convinced. I still mm. think they may be short. Yeah, feels like one opinion. of one of Norwich and Villa are going to go down. Yeah, maybe, I think yeah. maybe both if Newcastle improve more than people think. But so who's your three to go down or three or four that you think are in big big trouble? Uh, well, I said Watford in the summer, and, and a Watford fan friend of mine was uh, was aghast at that. But <laughs> he's right now; he's laughing now. Um, <laughs> and I do think they're going to they're going to struggle. Uh, yeah, I mean, Southampton are looking pretty shaky. I mean, they, mm, they always go on this weird, bad run in October, November enough to sack someone. And then, yeah, but, I yeah. mean, it's a shame because I think Hazard is a good manager, but... Don't uh, think he's been yeah, back it's, enough. Yeah, it's a lack of investment, in mm. my opinion, because they already spent £24 million on Ings, who was already coming in before Hassan Hutu took charge at Southampton. And I think their biggest transfer was Che Adams, mm. and he's not cut for the mm, Premier League. Yeah, Come I saw on. him at Birmingham in the Championship, and, you know... This season, he's been snatching a lot. <laughs> he's looked like a desperate he's a, man. Yeah, he's got, I think he's got one of the highest like XG mm. totals for players who haven't scored. He's just basically had good chances and yeah, snatching yeah. them. So. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be tight, I think. Um, you know, if, if Liverpool and City stretch it again, then obviously it means the rest of the league is quite like We saw mm-hmm. last year, you know, it was mm-hmm. that point where like 10 teams were still in the relegation fight with a, with a month to go, pretty much. Um, but yeah, Villa... I mean, McGinn, he's created 11 chances this season, which is the same, as many as James Madison. And look at the press that, that Madison gets. But mm, wow. um, Grealish is up there as well. He's on 19. Mm. So, no wow. one's been putting in. Yeah, underrated player. He had that weird run, didn't he? He like, lost 21 Premier League games yeah. in a row or something. But he, um, yeah, I think Villa, you know, they're up to 15th now. And I think their defence is the, the issue. Um, mm. But well, I think Wesley looks good. You know, he's actually done all right. And, um, 
You know, he he looked like the kind of archetypal. You know, spend twenty million on a on a player from Belgium. Possibly mm. they might settle or they might not. He's actually, you know, he could have got a hat trick at Norwich. He missed that penalty. Yeah, as well. yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think if he can get sort of ten, fifteen goals, that's going to be a, a you know a, lo- a long way. I mean, if you remember Villa before they went down to the Championship, they had like three or four seasons in a row where they barely could get like thirty, thirty-five goals as a team. Um, yeah. They've already got thirteen a season, so. Mm. Their fans seem reasonably happy. Yeah, so just final word on Norwich. I think I think they're going to go there. Yeah, I think they're in trouble. And the danger is they're going to be remembered, oh, they're the team that the beat Manchester City. City yeah, and that's it. <laughs> so, but shout out to Buendia because he, he kept his head up and he played well yesterday. Mm. Fair point. Um, so I just want to wrap up really, really quickly before we move on to the next segment. Uh, two other um, fixtures that we, we've got to just briefly touch on. So Burnley um, beat Everton at home, uh, courtesy of, uh, uh, I think it was a late goal from Jeff Hendricks via a set piece. <laughs> and I think, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and, 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 and Duncan, you obviously shared um, a stat with us off air, which was basically looking at um, how many goals have been conceded from via set pieces. And apparently Everton are, uh, are at the top of the, the table in, in, in that regard. With 22, I think, 22 goals. 22 since the start of last season, yeah, which right. is more than any okay. other, other team. So it's definitely a, you know, a weakness. Mm. And, you know, after the results today, they're in the bottom three now. Um, mm. You know, and after another summer where Everton fans kind of thought, you know, that they'd <laughs> won the cancer window, they're, you know, they're not happy. And oh, I think, Every, you know, yeah. this international break is going to be, uh, is, I thought, was Marco Silva would be concerned, put it that way. Um, I'm sure Marcel Brantz is probably on his phone already trying to... Source uh, another <laughs> manager. <laughs> manager. If you remember, when, when they appointed Silva, it weirdly came, apparently came down to a decision between Sean Dyche and Silva for the job, which is a quite different approach. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Night and day, well, yeah. isn't that Isn't that indicative to how confused the football club are in terms of... You're linked with Sean Dyche and you're linked with the polar opposite in Marco Silva. Yeah. And it shows that there's no clear strategy there, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sean Dyche would have been probably like a perfect follow-on from Sam Allardyce type of football. Mm. But clearly, Everton feel like they want to be a sexy football club, play sexy yeah, football. Yeah. But obviously, it's not been the case. They haven't got a striker. Calvert Lewin is not going to bang in the goals. Mm. They've got St. Tosson that's been far He's got, he's got three and three now, though. Yeah, like, I'm not convinced over you know the long term. Like I'm not. I don't think he's a top striker. <laughs> you know what's funny? My Sky Sports app just flashed, and I thought it was going to say Marco <laughs> Silva has been sacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I wasn't surprised by mm. Everton losing one 0 to Burnley. Mm. I mean, Everton... I mean, Burnley seems to have, after last season was a bit of a struggle. You know, they've gone back to just pure Burnley again. You know, just, yeah, I mean, grinding their way, breaking down opposition. Yeah, but to be honest, let's give them credit because they're just not a long ball team anymore. Yeah, they're they trying to work with, the yeah. ball, yeah. and they mm. work very hard at set pieces. Yeah, Chris Wood, yeah. Ashley Barnes. And what's interesting, Budge, when you're in a rock, Burnley are the last team you want to play because they're not going to get anything easy from them. Especially away. If you're travelling away to them, it's it's never a good... uh, They never give you freebies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, And and the final fixture I just wanted us to briefly touch on was, um, for me, it felt like a bit of a smash and grab for Palace. Um, no, winning, winning two one away from. No, I think they played. They, they certainly had uh, spells in that game where they had good passages of, of of play. I thought Declan Rice played quite well. Oh, you know, for they, that first goal, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, passes. I think, I think mm. they. And so, 
and, and I think West they Ham can way. always they can all they can also feel some somewhat hard done by it, especially with the uh, <laughs> especially with the um the, the penalty. You know, I thought mm. it was a bit. I mean, we've we've obviously seen them given, but I thought it was a bit a bit a bit harsh against. No, them. but when you put your hand up there, when you put your hands up there, you can expect what the referee to is blow that rugby up. or what? No, Come on, but I mean, I, even Cresswell was that. Put your penalty. hands down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> penalty, and then also the the, the winner being you know double yeah. VAR. Yeah, yeah double VAR. To be fair, let's give VAR a round of applause there because I feel the way they used that there was brilliant. Yeah, it was. Yeah, fair play to the guy using the mouse because he did it. Yeah, I thought he was going to be struggling, buckling under the pressure. Yeah, yeah. really really done well but I think as time goes on like they need to try and eradicate that so it's clearly black and white no, but the same I way like you see that. tennis with Hawkeye mm. there needs to be offside because it slows the game down no, but was, they're, yeah they're getting long aren't they they're like 2-3 yeah, minute lines, waits yeah, and yeah. yeah. yeah but that, that was a tough decision it needs time you don't want to rush it because yeah, that's how the you first make massive phase, errors second phase though. But, we're like okay yes. first phase has been passed mm. what about the second one the game did that did prove the disprove the idea that a player takes away the celebration because I uh, celebrated the goal and then it went to VAR and yeah, then he celebrated again. That was the moment of the weekend. But Duncan, this is one for you. Is there anything we can get in terms of Roy Hodgson's development as a manager? Because this was a guy that was written off after the England job saying that this guy needs to retire, he's done. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's reinvented himself. Uh, he's, I mean, I'm not the biggest Hodgson fan because... You know, I think the England, he did kind of waste, Scottish he did waste mm. Euro 2016, but you can't argue with him at clubs like West Brom, Fulham, Palace, you know, um, he did so well. And I mean, you know, he does just, just tick off those results. And I mean, he does help with Palace the fact they get penalties so much. You know, okay. Batman, Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, yeah, partly, but I mean, they just, in, historically in Premier League history, they get more penalties than any other team per match. Mm. Um, wow. And it helps, you know, Milajovic was suspended, mm. Van Aanholt steps mm. up and, and still scores. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're 14 points after eight games. They're probably they're well set to, to not be in a relegation battle. But is, have you seen the next six games? Yeah, yeah well, Palace being Palace, they'll get results. And the last, Palace are the last team to win at Anfield. They're the last team to win, uh, at, well, they're not at the City now, Wolves are, but they were at Arsenal. Wolves, rearing in good stats since yeah. 2019. But, um, you know, they, they know how to grind out a win away at a bit, uh, t- uh, tough venues. So, yeah, fair play. And also, as I pointed out last week, you know, Hodgson's now, um, it was at the Olympic Stadium. He's lived through 18 Summer Olympics. That's, that's impressive. Wow. He's, a, you know, he, he's now setting new boundaries. He's the oldest manager in Premier League history, you know, in terms of he's now setting a record every time he's a manager. So to still be that good when you're 72, it's hats off. Really. Yeah. yeah, it's good to see the two oldest managers in the Premier League playing such a bright football at both clubs. Mm. Fair point. All right. Um, so just moving on now. So um, you're not going to mention the Watford, Sheffield United. Oh, well, I forgot My about friend, that Chris one. Wilder. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about <laughs> oh, that one. Conor Egan, Egan yeah, Basham. Yeah. Again. I really um, like John Fleck. Yeah, I really, yeah. He, he, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Watford should have won that game. I'm not sure if you've both seen it. Mm. Welbeck, 1v1, square yeah, it to Andre should, Gray yeah. for a tap in. Even before that, before. Andre Gray's chance, he should have mm. really put that away, mm. you know? Yeah, I think it's a confidence issue with Watford. I feel mm. once they get their first win, I feel they'll actually be all right. Mm. Mm, definitely. Okay, fair point. So I wanted to basically go back to 
um, the Liverpool-Leicester game um, and a particular moment in that, which was um, a challenge on uh, on Mohamed Salah from uh, Hamza Chowdhury. Now, obviously, after the game, um, Klopp came out and he was just basically slating. Incandescent. Yeah, you know, he was just like, what on earth is, 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 is he playing at and whatnot? Um, and so what I wanted to ask, basically, was it, it was a, basically a two-part question. So the reaction to that uh, from uh, Klopp, which actually Brendan Rodgers came uh, back and, and, and responded to and was basically saying he was overdoing it. Um, but so part one is, was Klopp right to react in the way that he he um, he did? Um, and second, we saw the response on Twitter, um, and and you know uh, he was a subject of a lot of racial comments um, from people on Twitter. Mm. Um, and I, I, I believe it, I think I saw something today um, that was that was saying that uh, Leicester were going to take legal action yeah, on yeah, the people it, it that broke. Um, yeah it broke um, yeah. So so is 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 this the approach that we need to see? Uh, more teams taken in response to these these racist incidents. So, like I said, two part. Question. Yeah. So I'll answer the first part. Mm. Um, in terms of the challenge, do I think Klopp should be angry? Absolutely, because he had no intentions to win the ball. But then it makes me think: if Fabinho done that tackle, will Klopp still react the same way? I don't think so. Mm. But I think that's due to Ch- Chowdhury's reputation. I think he's mm. known for these sort of nasty mm. leg-breaking mm. tackles. And for him to do that to Mo Salah, I mean, Mo Salah couldn't continue the game. His ankle looked done. Yeah, it looked bad. It, it looked, looked bad. Really it looked bad. bad. Mm. But I think it begs the bigger question, which is the Simbin. I feel that it's an idea that should probably be implemented in the Premier League mm. to stop these kind of challenges. Because mm-hmm. I feel that Players know the cynical challenges on that counter-attack when you're, you want to take a yellow card. Mm. I feel that if you do that, there should be like a sim bin for like 10 minutes where you're down to 10 men. And that will nip it in the bud. For me, personally, I just think Hamza Chowdhury's, you know, reputation is starting to precede him. Mm-hmm. We saw him in the Euros, I think, done a nasty one against France, you know, under 21s. We've mm-hmm. seen him against Matt Ritchie. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him since. He's had a long-term yeah. injury. So he needs to be careful but again, I think if it was another player, there won't be this media furore yeah, around yeah, it. It was two feet off the ground. It was a nasty mm. tackle. Yeah, it was a bad one. It was a bad one, to be honest. When your opponent can't continue a game, you know he's been in the wars. But I think mm. Hamza Chowdhury just needs to be careful because this is going to take away from the fact that he's a top, young, promising player. Because yeah, yeah. he's a good player. Mm, I remember so. watching him maybe three, four years ago for Burton Albion you know, patrolling the midfield. He mm-hmm. actually is a good player and he's had some good development, mm-hmm. but we don't want to start pigeonholing him as mm-hmm. this Lee Catamol, this mm-hmm. roughhouse yeah. midfielder <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because he's got more to yeah, his game than that. Yeah. Yeah, there was even an interview with um, Catamol last month where he said that but having that reputation early did change his career, you know, because mm. he was quite a kind of skillful player coming through the ranks. And mm. then, you know, you get this reputation and you almost kind of start living up to it. I mean, yeah. start tucking in your shirt. Challenge yeah. actually. Start looking real impressive. Yeah. No one, that, that should be a symbol. <laughs> Chowdhury's only actually conceded three fouls in eight games this season. But, really? Yeah. But, but he's not wow. been starting though, has he? True, but yeah. you know, he's, he's, I guess he's just making them memorable when he can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so regarding the abuse, I we mean, don't want to see that. It's become customary. Like mm. When someone makes a mistake, misses a penalty, they get abused. I've been seeing that Twitter have been having high profile meetings with the, you know, football, um, football association mm. and the clubs. This needs to get nipped in the bud footballers under no circumstances deserve abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing their job. 
they're in their line of work. So mm. you shouldn't have to put up with racist abuse. And yeah. I think that's a bit terrible. Let what happens on the pitch stay on the pitch mm-hmm. and not go onto the online forums. That's just my take. I agree with Dej. Yeah. And just a side note, um, I, I remember recently um, Roma, uh, mm. I think one of their players, uh, you know, I, I faced some racial um, comments as well. And and they came out and they took some sort of action. And then uh, basically they, they called um, Twitter and, uh, you know, a, a few other people to account and said, look, this is what we're doing to, to, to nip this in yeah. the bud. What are what you, you going to do? And yeah. I thought, when I yeah. saw that, I was, I was, I, I was quite pleased with that because I was like, you know, it's, it's, change has got to start from somewhere. They have a really interesting, um, case study, Roma, because they started this Roma English yeah. Twitter account and, yeah. 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 and so they good. basically yeah. created a whole set of fans of the club that have no connection with Roma yeah. purely because yeah. their social media content is so good. Yeah. And I was doing this thing a few months ago and I was saying, basically, if you look, at most football league clubs now their kind of style of content they push out it's is kind of like banter content yeah, from three or four years ago yeah. and it's whether you like it or not it's it's so changed the perception of football clubs because mm. you know like the, what, there was a massive Wickham got this time wasting reputation right there was a game a few um, weeks ago I, had, I can't remember which one it was but it basically had like 29 minutes oh the Burton game that yeah, yeah. when the lights went out so Burton had there'll be 29 minutes of stoppage time and Wickham uh, official account replied something like oh you think that's a lot you should come and watch us <laughs> <laughs> I do think there's it has improved the game that, that you get these clubs that are actually kind of engaging rather than just being this kind of like you know press release after press one release 1-0 yeah, 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 yeah. but the flip side to that is obviously it's an open forum and you you know you do get just yeah. awful comments from people that aren't medi- uh, you know mediated at all and I think mm. you know there, there does need to be some sort of you know, punishment escalation process. At the mm. moment, it's just random. You know, mm. you, someone can do something and get away with it. And then next week, you know, yeah, it's just, so, if someone gets flagged, yeah. you know, even Twitter was saying like, you know, we'll pick out the top 50 or 100 players or something. And it's like, well, you, well what if you're the 102nd player? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's so arbitrary. It doesn't really, yeah. you know. Oh, fair point. All right. Now, I wanted us, now we've uh, sort of had a chance to review the the fixtures. I wanted us to move on. Um, and just had a few questions. So just going back to, um, you know, just the, the topic of stats and data in, 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 in football, uh, Duncan. Um, just, just a few sort of really quick, short and quick fire mm. questions that we wanted to, to ask you, your, your perspective on. Now, uh, where, where I wanted to start was, um, a lot of managers and a lot of players will, um, will, will, will say that, that, the uh, introduction of Arsene Wenger to the Premier League was a very pivotal moment in that his style and approach to man management and, 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 you know, um, extending the, the lifetime of, 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 of players within the game and stuff was a real game changer in, 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 in the Premier League, you know, because he came and he introduced new kinds of diets and, 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 you know, loads of players were coming out and saying, you know, now I feel like I can play for X amount of years longer and that kind of thing. So in, in the same vein, can you pinpoint a moment in time um, where data and statistics became so important within football? Was there was there a, a, a movement or was there a particular period where all of a sudden stats became so important to, 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 to clubs, to fans and that kind of thing? I think in terms of, of professional clubs, um, there was a sort of uptake in the 2000s, but mm. it wasn't really till the 2010s where you really saw, you know, Liverpool kind of base their um, 
uh, transfer policy at one point on, you know, when they got Downing and Charlie Adam in, forgetting mm-hmm. that most of the chance creation came from corners, and mm-hmm. you can't have two players taking corners, which <laughs> <doesn't> <laughs> But we've seen a massive development. Like, you know, I think yeah. probably the, the best example is is Leicester were in the league in 2015-16. You know, they, you know, N'Golo Kante was a completely data-led transfer. You know, they, they looked mm-hmm. not just at his performances in France, but also the style of play that his his team had and how he would fit into into Leicester. You know, it wasn't right. a case of signing someone and hoping he'd be good. They basically knew that Can and Leicester were playing the same way. That So it was basically for him just slotting into a, another team. Uh, well, it's been shown at Chelsea that he probably could just play any role that you asked him to. <laughs> yeah, um, he's so yeah. good. Yeah. He's so good. But, you know, we've gone from a point where data was used by some clubs. Pretty much every club does it now. Um, right. So he's... It's gone past the point of saying, oh, this club does it well and this club does it badly. You know, clubs just use it. It's, it's one of the processes, you know. Yeah. What, so do all clubs have access to your databases? And, yeah, it might not necessarily be us. We've got um, competitors, we've got partners, you know, they might have two or three different suppliers. You know, we've worked with the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea for a long, long time. And, you know, they've really, they were probably the two clubs who were at the kind of vanguard of starting it in the, in the 2000s. Um, you know, Chelsea did loads and loads of kind of research, um, data-led research. And it's never going to replace traditional scouting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never going to be a case of, you know, you're just going to sign a player off, off numbers. But what it does is it allows you to at least kind of search in a in a more kind of constructive way. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you still get some scouts who go, oh, I went to see a game and just the way the player walked on the pitch, I didn't even need to watch him play. I knew he was going to be a contender. But I'd, I'd suggest that maybe, you know, Watching him play football <laughs> might be a, might be a that's step forward. Really what Man United do. He was, yeah. <laughs> so, Duncan, just a question. Um, in terms of, you know, the the advancements of stats, does that mm. mean that like defenders get more accolades now? So, for example, Van Dijk is in the running for the Ballon d'Or because he didn't get dribbled past in sixty yeah. games and mm. possibly, he's won possibly. This many I mean, it's, it's always been quite hard to. To elevate defenders in the same way, because mm. event data, which is what Optus traditionally collected, which is everything on the ball, you know, a shot, a goal, an assist, a key mm. pass, that's fine. But def- defending, the best defenders don't ever really do much defending because mm. they don't really need to. I mean, we had a famous example where 2002 World Cup, so Campbell played really well for England against Sweden. Um, a newspaper said, we sent them the stats, they rang us up and they were like, you've got Sol Campbell not making a tackle. And we were like, <laughs> Because he didn't make a tackle. And they were like, no, 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 but he was the best player. So he must have made... And we were like, no, no. But because the games were early, because it was in Japan, we had time to, like, just to humor them. We went through the game again. He didn't make a tackle. We were like, look, 200%. He didn't make a tackle. Next day in the paper, so Campbell, three tackles. So they just made it up. They, <laughs> oh, but, you know, the best yeah. players don't need to make tackles defenders. But what, what we're able to do now is kind of... And that's been the big advancement in the last year or so is new data sets combining different, you know, com- you know, tracking data with event data and, you know, looking at how defences set up gaps between centre-halves, who, which defences are putting pressure on attackers, things mm. like that. So I think over the next two, three years, there'll be a lot of new metrics that really kind of are useful for, for defenders and defending. Mm. I think another really interesting one, which I think a lot of people will ask is, 
um, how accurate the data that's being recorded is. Mm. Um, like what, to what extent is it manual versus algorithmic? You know, cause I, I think, I, and this is for me as well. When I first, uh, you know, found out about Opto, I thought, okay, it's probably a bloke sitting in a room with a counter in his, in his, in his hand, <laughs> just pressing a button every time a pass is made, for example. So to what extent is it, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a lot more, a lot more in depth than that. So we've kind of had the same analysis system since 2006. Um, it's kind of custom built, but it basically everything is tracked during the game. It's about 2000 events. It's, um, the, the video of the match is put on screen. It's still done by humans because that's still more accurate than automation. Mm. Um, that might change over the next few years, but at the moment it's still, and it has to be, you know, we do a QA process live. We do a QA process at the end of games and we do a full QA process the next day as well. Cause this day is used by oh, wow. clubs, by the betting industry, by, you know, everyone. So football manager. Um, no, it's not football manager. Fa- fantasy football as well, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. The fantasy uh, football is all powered from yeah. us. Um, yeah. So it, it's, you know, I think we're like 99.2% accurate live and then mm. you just tighten it up. But I mean, all the main events will be accurate during the game. It's maybe you just adjust the, you know, we, we collect X and Y coordinates of, where the pass gets starts and ends and stuff. So that's all done oh, wow. live. So the guys that do it are incredible. You know, a lot of them are like yeah. students. Uh, you know, it's, it, it definitely favours a kind of young person who's, you know, hand-to-eye mm. coordination is at its peak, for, you know, from playing FIFA and whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> they're the only that's people, they're the that only that people in the world long. who love a serious injury because yeah. it gives them like two minutes just to, you know, in fact, they like VAR because it gives yeah, them a little yeah, rest. Yeah. But, um, and yeah. I, I, I hear that the, uh, the, sort of the um, recruitment process and whatnot or the training process is quite stringent so mm. you know there's there's a couple of months of, of training for these people yeah yeah they won't this. they'll do like three months training and then mm. you know they won't be given Premier League stuff straight but you know uh, they'll be probably doing um, non-live leagues like maybe somewhere in you know Asia or maybe mm. like Belgian second division or something like that and they'll be you know monitored and yeah I mean the guys that, that make it um, a lot of them you know then become kind of full time with us because mm. they've proven you know they've put the put the hours in essentially but mm. um yeah it's a massive process and it's the scale of it as well you know we we cover the level we do the premier league at we we cover you know 70 80 competitions around the world mm. um so that's obviously a big task cool and and sort of finally um do you feel going forward so next 5 and 10 years that there are going to be any sort of things that, that, that progress and, and, and develop the use of, of data anymore? Do you feel like, the, like you know, in, in terms of the data that's being used by clubs, are they going to use um, more data or is there going to be more of an uptake from uh, a wider range of clubs? And, or what, what, where, where do you see the future for data in, 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 in the Premier League? I think football in general is like, it's a, it's a bit like fixing a hole in a hose or something, isn't it? You, you try and you, you work out how a team plays, and then everyone else will work out a way of beating that. You know, like yeah, ten years yeah, ago, yeah. it was all Guardiola, it was all possession, all that sort of stuff. We've got to now. Um, you know, the Klopp method is kind of the top one, yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. But you know, data just helps you kind of speed up that process. You mm. know, clubs are. There's guys that have, we do a thing called the Opta Pro Forum every February where we invite people from um, professional clubs, amateur kind of blogger people, and they come in and they present. And most of those guys, if they're any good, get snapped up by clubs straight away because the right, clubs, they'll okay. come in and they'll say, look, here's a new way of assessing how to act, uh, to spot space in matches, or here's a new way of like looking at what's a valuable pass, stuff like that. 
and there's all the, all the clubs are represented, and they'll be like, "Yeah, that's good. He he seems clever. Let's or she seems clever. Let's yeah, get yeah. that." And um, you know that that's the it's been quite a kind of massively developing industry over the last ten years because mm. you, if you were any good, you were probably snapped up by a club. And you know, Liverpool in particular have got some guys that we used mm. to work with who are really really good, and. Um, mm. You know, we we've seen the impact of the throwing coach. You know, yeah. Andy Gray laughing at the Liverpool having a throwing yeah. coach last year. You know, it it, it worked. You know, and, th- and that's one of the successes of of Klopp's era at, at Liverpool is they're always willing to look for the the next tiny advantage. You know, finding those one percent. Yeah. yeah. So would you say data is a necessity or it's um, a, a supplement? Oh, but yeah. but I think data. This is where people kind of get the wrong end of the stick. Data you can give. 10 people data and they'll use it differently so it's kind of what you do with the data okay. you know? and that's that's where the the strength is it's kind of like the data is like the kind of um to to use another tortured restaurant analogy data is like the wholesaler providing the raw ingredients mm. you then need a chef to do stuff with that yeah, data yeah, 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 and yeah, um yeah. you know some clubs it'll work some it won't and you know like with any kind of role really but um it's been i think we've got past the point now where it's seen as this kind of like you know, not real football stuff, you know, and the big, I think the big change over the last few years has been clubs now have people that can talk to each other mm-hmm. in the sense that a data guy, it can talk to a manager through maybe an in, mm-hmm. intermediary. Yes, you know yes, I mean? It's yes, not, yes, it's yes, not yes, some yeah. like Harvard stats <laughs> yeah. guy trying to talk to some, you know, old school football guy, which yeah, never yeah, did yeah. work and it never was going to work. The clubs have realized that you need to kind of like, you know, you need to put it in language that everyone that comes understands. Yeah, more agile, yeah, 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 um, more fluid. You know, and that's what, in a more minor way, that's what I try and do for for fans is like take numbers and at least make them, you know, a bit more entertaining, a bit more palatable to the to the average fan. Because no no fan likes data, mm-hmm. but every fan likes to t- tell their mates, "Oh, that's the first time that's ever happened." Mm-hmm. Or the last yeah, player to do that yeah, was, yeah, you yeah. know, and it's finding those little angles, and you know, that's what we've always had teams of people doing as well as going through the numbers finding interesting stuff so cool fair point all right very interesting now i can look at the time and see that we're deep into fergie time <laughs> so um really really quickly we're just going to wrap up deep into the clock time deep now really. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah not just nowadays liverpool got 34 last minute wins in the premier league more than any other team the, well, the fergie time things are semi mess. Mess. Yeah. <laughs> that's very interesting um so we're going to have to really, really quickly just run through prospects of the week. So for those of you who are listening and who aren't familiar with this um, segment of the podcast, so um, everyone will just basically say uh, a, a player who they feel is their prospect, reminding everyone that it's not a good thing. A prospect of the week is a seasoned pro playing as though they're an amateur the first time on uh, under the uh, under the the, the the bright lights, baggy <laughs> touches, overhit passes, two footed challenges, rush um, tackles, seeing red, all of that sort of stuff. It could also be a manager. We'll have you know. So a manager that got their tactics wrong, who's got egg on their face after this round of fixtures this weekend. Lads, who wants to go first? Who's your I, prospect? I don't mind kicking week? off, and I'm going to go for a left field one. Mm-hmm. I know. Probably no one in this table will agree with me, but I'm going to have to call out Harry Maguire. The reason why you had a chance to put Man United ahead and wrap the game up, because I feel mm. that if Man United went one and one, they would have won that game. Six yards, he had a sitter of a header, mm. and he fluffed these lines. Yeah, Harry Maguire, you're my prospect of the week. <laughs> yeah, he fluffed the line big time. You know, I thought the net was going to bulge, and it didn't. But yeah, moving ahead to my prospect of the week, I'm going to go for Daniel Farker. 
since mm-hmm. the City game, where have you been? Mm. Norwich have slipped into, you know, the relegation zone now. I mean, it's all well. People say, oh, they play lovely stuff. But you want to have something to show for Tangible. It. Yeah, mm. and I just think Norwich are going to go down now. Just on that game, actually, the, the more shots in the first half of that match than any other game we've ever analysed in the Premier League. So wow. 28, 28 shots in the first half, which is like, I mean... What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> Probably playing basketball. I will have a shot now. So. <laughs> right. Um, have you got one? Uh, I'll you probably go Marco Silva because mm. like, I just think, you know, he's had backing and it's just going wrong. And he keeps getting red cards. He's got the highest red card rate of any manager in Premier League history. Um, 13 oh, in 88 games, which is quite a lot. Yeah. Obviously, James Coleman this weekend. So, you know, if, you, if you're trying to build a legacy, try and keep 11 players on the pitch yeah no absolutely I also actually, yeah. honourable mention for Pep Guardiola <laughs> I mean losing at home against Wolves I know I had him as my prospect when you know Norwich turned them over but that's a shocking losing, result yeah losing yeah. at home to Wolves it's pathetic it's a bit yeah. more a bit yeah. more result yeah. from Pep he needs to look in the mirror as Fresh said earlier <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Fresh right so unfortunately that's all we've got time for um, as always, thank you very much for listening up until this point. We hope you enjoyed the the podcast as much as we did. We've had loads of laughs no, and yeah. found this out some a, very, very interesting This has been here. a very, so very good no, one. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, a lot of the stats would have no. flew over some people's yeah, heads. Yeah. But listen again, because to this be honest, one was a lovely one. Every flew over my head. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Duncan's work is just... Yeah. Yeah. Tremendous. Absolutely. So we first and foremost want to say thank you very much yet again, Duncan. We really appreciate you coming down and spending this time with us. It's been absolutely fantastic. It. Thanks for having me. It's been brilliant. Cheers. Great stuff. Yeah. Lovely teaser. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Been a long um, one. Thank you very much. Line. Yes, it's absolutely. <laughs> so thank you very much, listeners. As always, please continue to help us grow the platform and share the episode out amongst your friends, family members, work colleagues, uh, WhatsApp groups. Um, continue to help us grow our Twitter uh, uh, handle. Uh, where we're, we're just on the cusp of 700 followers so help us to get to that 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 landmark um also just to let everybody um that you know you're in contact with know that we're on apple podcasts uh please give us a five star rating on there <laughs> share it around um we're also on spotify soundcloud um instagram instagram Let's so plug our individuals as well, as well. Yeah, yeah and if you want if you want to mm. um if you want to follow us individually i'm a serial retweeter and and, <laughs> and also like to share my views on arsenal here, here you there. never post anything good on liverpool <laughs> 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 yeah just to yeah. start off my um twitter is dej underscore tbg mm-hmm. and mine is lfc nina and mine is budge the Gooner. And mine is Oily Sailor. Sweet. So I think that's pretty much it. I'm looking at Dot as always, just making sure I get a nod of approval. (laughs) I've covered everything. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) That's it from us, guys. Over and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 